you guys. Welcome to episode 32 of MTG Radio. This is Trevor. And this is Tom. And we are here and ready and uh, I shouldn't be tired yet because we haven't even started, but I am. But we're going to, this is going to be quite the long podcast. We're going to warn you now. Um, we made a comment about it quite a while ago and we are actually going to have a marathon podcast. So it, it'll be quite long. Um, we're going to be talking about Rise of the Eldrazi spoilers and EDH mainly. Those two two topics. But for fun, when we post this, it'll be in two different parts and then in one large one. Um, so the first one is uh, – we're actually recording this one on Saturday. And um, so when we first did spoilers on Eldrazi, it lasted an hour and we had 60. We have 100 new spoilers. That's a bunch. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Well, technically 108 new spoilers, but that's that's just splitting hairs. Oh, yeah, because eight other cards. Well, <laughs> one of those eight cards could be Eldrazi Conscription, and that card's good. That's true. So I guess we're just jumping in on the beast right now? Jumping in on the beast. What a weird phrase. Yeah, we're jumping in on the beast. All right, so you already started with the name. You can continue. All right. By the way, it's, it's a tribal enchantment. I know. I was going to get there. First, I'm going to read the mana cost, though. It's an eight-colorless tribal enchantment. Thanks, Tom. It's an Eldrazi nope. aura. It's enchant creature. Enchant- enchanted creature gets plus 10, plus 10. It has trample and annihilator, too. Woo! <laughs> so it makes all of your creatures in Eldrazi, or any one of your creatures in Eldrazi. That card is its crazy. There are already people talking about this and Sovereigns of Lost Alara. Yeah, I mean, like, there was the, uh, there was the old, like, Gigantiform deck that used to play Sovereigns of Lost Alara. And just in case you don't know what Sovereigns of Lost Alara is, it costs four, white, blue, it has Exalted, it's a spirit. Ooh, it's a spirit. Doesn't have flying. You're gonna look at the card and you're gonna be like, oh, it's Cloud People, it has flying. Doesn't have flying. And then, whenever a creature you control attacks alone, you may search your library for an aura card that could enchant that creature. Put it onto the battlefield, attach that creature, then shuffle your library. It's a four or five. The fun part is it gets around Shroud. Yeah. So. Which is really good. And it also, I mean, it's still, it's still turn six. I mean, I have a feeling that that deck, quote unquote, is going to be too slow for standard. But I know uh, when I had a Rafik deck that Sovereigns was really good. Because you oh, yeah. play Rafik and then next turn you attack Rafik and then play Sovereigns and attack. And if you put a uh, Eldrazi Conscription on Rafik, <laughs> that's just... <laughs> Double striking 13-13s with Trample Annihilator 2. I think, Trevor, I think that can get there. I, and by 13-13, sure. I mean 15-15. Yeah, your math gives me headaches. I'm just saying. But yeah, that Eldrazi Conscription is... Th- this whole set just seems like, let's see how big of a mana cost we can make and how obnoxious of a card we can make. It's either that or the exact opposite, and we'll get to some of the exact opposite cards later on. Mm-hmm. There's some cards like, in... Go ahead. Like Student of Warfare, which we talked about last time, is one of my favorite cards spoiled ever. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to that card. It's not even funny. I like him a lot. I, we'll get to we'll get to him soon though. Um, the next one we're gonna talk about we don't I don't think it's necessary that we talk about every single spoiled card because even if we just talk about the uh, the most appealing ones we're still gonna have plenty to talk about. So uh, I'll let you talk about the next colorless card you want to mention, Tom. Okay, well I actually do want to mention this card and it was recently spoiled I think on Friday so yesterday it's Hand of Emrakul. So it costs nine colorless for an annihilator one seven seven. Although, 
it has another nice little ability. You may sacrifice four Eldrazi spawn rather than pay Hand of Emrakul's mana cost. So, if you end up... He's, by the way, is a common. So if you end up drafting, like, three of these guys and just a bunch of things that put out Eldrazi spawns, it's completely possible to have a 7-7 with Annihilator 1 attacking on turn 5. That's not fair. That, that doesn't seem allowed. Like, it's so weird. And... It essentially costs four mana, because each of the spawns can be sacked for a colorless. But also on top of that, I could just see some really ridiculous um, casual decks with the really low drop changelings, or mirror mm-hmm. entity. And, and then just like, oh, I'll pay one, make all my creatures, <coughs> every creature type, sacrifice four of them, and cheat in a hand of Emrakul. And then just have a 7-7 seven, seven sitting there looking at everybody like, hey, yeah, what's up? Are you not going to comment on the art for this? What are you talking about? I actually kind of like the art for this one. I, do I don't know why. It looks kind of like... Uh, his name should be Rover. Like, he's digging a hole. <laughs> All right. Well, we said that so, in unison. I know, because we're good like that. So we're not talking about Not of This World because it's horrible. Hey, okay. No, I am going to talk about Not of This World because it is not that horrible. It is horrible. It costs seven for a counterspell. Right. That's not even a counter spell. But it could cost free too. Uh, I like that. It can cost free. <laughs> that was grammatically terrible, but it can. And explain, I mean, explain then, explain. All right, for EDH, I'm not talking about anything but EDH. Let me just put that out there for for reference. Then again, in a non-EDH deck, this might even see play. I don't know if if Eldrazi gets played, this might get played along with them. But in an EDH deck. The games go on quite a while, as we both know. You already can, and you know you can, reliably cast Mana Reflection. This costs one more mana than that. At its maximum cost. Well, unless we're talking about Lodestone Golem shenanigans, but we're not. <laughs> it counter-targets vulnerability that targets a permanent you control. Not of this world costs seven less if it targets... Uh, um, if it targets a spell or ability that targets a creature you control with power seven or greater. So... Say you have um, Rafik out, and it has like Rafik has a f- an aura on it, and Rafik is a seven-seven because of the aura that's on him. And they try to kill, they Doomblade or Path or something. You can play this for free, and just be like, no. "What's up?" And it costs absolutely no mana, so you can play the aura and then have this for backup. I honestly think this card's getting a really bad rap, and I don't think it's as evil as everyone thinks it is. <laughs> Now, no, no one's saying it's evil. People are just saying that it's horrible. And I'm saying you're wrong. <laughs> kind of wrong. Like a, a smidgen of wrong. Just a smidgen? Just a smidgen. I do want to talk about the next card, though. Go right ahead. All right, the next card that I'm going to talk about is Spawn Sire of Ulamog. Because <laughs> this card kind of gave me a headache when I first read it. It's a 10-mana 7-11. It's a rare. It's an Eldrazi. It has Annihilator 1. It has uh, four colorless, put two zero one colorless Eldrazi spawn tokens onto the battlefield. They have sacked this creature, add one colorless to your And 20 colorless, cast any number of Eldrazi cards you own from outside the game without paying their mana costs. Alright, so just to preface, and Tom and I checked right before we started recording, there is an optional social rule for EDH about having a 10 card sideboard that you can side in once um, all the generals are stated. So mm-hmm. if you if you do get to 20 mana or somehow like 
play his ability, because maybe you can, you cannot just go grab your binder or your, your big box of cards and put all of your changelings into play. Like, <laughs> that, that's not going to work. I mean, it it could if you don't play with sideboards, and that's how you say this works. But in most playgroups, I have a feeling this is just going to work with a 10-card sideboard, and you'll be able to cast any number of those cards without paying your mana costs. So basically, it just means you relegate, like, your Kozilek, your Ambercool, and your other guy into your sideboard. Because I forgot his name. Ulamog. Uh, Ulamog, there we go. And you just relegate them into your sideboard, and you just wait until you get this guy out, and magically have 20 mana for some reason. And then just go, I win. And laugh, and be happy. But the thing is... For casual, and the, the one thing that I don't understand about this card, and I didn't when I first read it, I thought it was typed up wrong on Salvation, was all of the, or a lot of the other Eldrazi cards, or cards that reference Eldrazi, Eye of Ugin especially, best example, mm-hmm. cost two, color, two colorless mana less for each uh, to play colorless Eldrazi spells. This one doesn't say colorless Eldrazi spells. This just says Eldrazi cards. Hmm. Good call there, Trevor. So... You can literally go get your Mistform Ultimus, your uh, Tor and Mauler, Chameleon Colossus. Like, just plop. There they go. They're all in play. Um, I actually have a, I want to read one card real quick. Uh, you can go ahead and talk about the next one. Well, actually, I just wanted to mention, we know now that uh, Wizards is definitely uh, catering to EDH nowadays. Like, people have said this at Wizards themselves. So... I'm sure it probably was any number of colorless Eldrazi cards for a while. Then, like, Mike Turian might have went, you know, I like changelings. So we're going to take colorless off there and just make it Eldrazi cards so that people can use an EDH. But that's just me. Yeah. So I have one more thing to say. I just looked up the card that I wanted to mention. Um, Conspiracy is three and two black enchantment. It was reprinted in a a time-shifted card. Mm -hmm. As it comes into play, choose a creature type. Creature cards you control that aren't in play. Oh, wow. Or No, no, no. Sorry, I read that wrong. Creature cards you own that aren't in play. Creature spells you control and creatures you control are the chosen type. This means that if you make a 10-card sideboard, granted this only affects creatures and uh, Sponsire can play any Eldrazi card, but you make a 10-card sideboard with any creatures you want, except Phage. Don't do Phage. That'd be a bad idea. No, do Phage. I want you to lose the game. Do Phage. And you Conspiracy Eldrazi and then pay 20 mana, because you have 20 mana. Of course you do. You could play your whole sideboard. That seems like fun. That's a, I mean, 20 mana for 10 creature cards, I think that's a good payoff. See, I would agree with you if it weren't for cards like Emrakul the Anstorn and like Dark Star Clauses <laughs> and... Ulamog. It's just when their converted mana costs add up to more than 20. And it's not even like you're putting them into play. You're casting them. So you get to destroy a permanent, take an extra turn, draw four cards. But the only other problem with this card in like EDH is if you're playing him in EDH, you probably already have the other Eldrazi in your deck. So I think more than likely people are just going to use the four to put two zero ones into play. Just because it's a nice way to make chump blockers. Yeah, and Tom was saying with doubling season, this card can go infinite. And you can actually spawn uh, four blockers a turn, block with them, then sack them all, and then they're all ready blocked, and make four more. Yeah, that works. Yeah, that's so, kind of cool. I mean, 
it, unless you have a soul collector or something out, it doesn't really do anything, but you can pay for, make for. And this is with doubling season. Pay for, make for, sack for, make for more. Keep doing it. Yeah. And just be like, so you played cancel? Yeah. In response, I'm going to make a billion tokens and sacrifice a billion tokens, but in chunks of four. Tom, you're you so can resolve cancel. <laughs> Anyways. Time to talk about the next card. Um, how about Demystify? I think this is actually going to be a really important card in Limited. Uh, Demystify costs one white, and it's a common instant that simply says destroy target enchantment. With all of the Umbras going around, there's going to be a lot of situations where you're going to be attacked by, like, one creature with, like, two Umbras on, or, like, just one Umbra on, but he's just smashing face. And you have a creature that can't block. Pay one mana, Demystify the Umbra, and block. And it's perfect. So, I don't know. I'd say they're they're probably not going to go first pick. They're going to go, like... 12. <laughs> so, when you see them there, if there's nothing better, definitely pick them up. They're going to be a great sideboard card. Especially if someone's playing Eldrazi Conscription. <laughs> That's going to be something you want. <gasps> yes, finally! 8 mana! Drop my bomb! Alright, my turn? Demystify it. <laughs> it's like Path, but for enchantments. That, that was a really... That was a stretch. Oh, Anyways. <laughs> okay. Going... Oh, oh, guess who got reprinted? Guess who got reprinted? Cancel? Well, that already got reprinted. But no, Glory Seeker. It's just as good as Cancel. It's actually a good card, but still. Glory Seeker, for one and a white, it's a creature, human soldier, that's a common, and it's a 2-2. So, remember when people were saying that levelers were horrible? And probably still are. Well, when you compare this to Knight of Cliffhaven, they're both commons for one and a white that come in as 2-2s, right? Right. Now, the Cliffhaven, though, has level up for three. When you pay three, he levels one through three, he's a two-three. So, I think the, Evan Irwin said this the best when he said, people are gonna, after shards, look at levelers like this. They're gonna be like, well, here's the thing. Why would I play Glory Seeker when I can just play Knight of Cliffhaven instead? I think, uh, these level up creatures are going to fill parts of a curve that are going to be necessary. They're going to be great and limited. Might not make that big of a splash to standard, but some definitely will. Like uh, Student of Warfare, that guy's going to be awesome. I got dibs on that guy. Yeah. But uh, and just mentioning, by the way, for MTG Salvation, the the little uh, flavor text they have for Glory Seeker is great. It's from Justin yes, Bieber. It's, it's a Justin Bieber lyric. <laughs> Did you ever? I never realized his last name is Bieber until I saw this most contrived, uh, stupid MTV documentary about him when he went to Paris. And literally, this was part of it, right? So he's he's apparently playing a concert in Eiffel Tower because Paris is gay enough to let him play a concert in Eiffel Tower. And so he's going through, and a bunch of twelve-year-old girls rush the barrier that's like between Justin Bieber and them, and Justin Bieber signing autographs. And the barrier ends up like tapping Bieber's arm, and Bieber goes, "Oh no!" And he, and he like gets rushed inside, and everyone's like, are you okay, Justin? Are you okay, Justin? Justin Bieber's like, I think I hurt my arm. I'm not sure if I can go on. And then it cuts into like the stupid like artist like talking over part, the voiceover, and he goes, well, even though I was really hurt, I knew that my audience loved me, so I had to get out there and sing my songs for them. For them, not for me. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me right now, Justin Bieber? <laughs> are you freaking kidding me right now? 
I think the funniest was... part of that story, which was entirely random and completely unnecessary, was the fact that you watched an entire Justin Bieber documentary. I was really hoping that part would just go over. All right. And you would notice. Anyway. Back to back to uh, not Justin Bieber radio. Uh, we're going to talk about – I'm going to mention Core Spirit Dancer. It's a one and a white for a zero-two core wizard. It gets – she, I'm pretty sure. gets plus two, plus two for each aura attached to it. Which is good. That's that's pretty cool. Kind of mm-hmm. like a Ural-esque ability. And whenever you cast an aura, draw a card. Now, um, kind of similar to the Enchantresses, Mesa Enchantress. Uh, Which is actually still a standard, so. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if it'll see play immediately. Maybe it won't see play in standard. Maybe it will alongside the Umbras, because you can put an Umbra on it and then it gets pseudo, uh, pseudo-indestructibility. Yeah. But... I definitely think it's it's a well designed card at minimum. It's a nice twist on enchantresses. I think so too. I think the only reason why it's not strictly better is because it says aura. Yeah. Because some enchantments aren't auras. Auras are the ones that uh, basically like equip onto creatures. Or lands. But um, or, or or lands. Yeah, that's right, or lands. Anyways, so they already had like for a while. It was around for like two weeks. There was like a mace enchantress deck. That played the uh, five casting cause enchantment from Alara. That was like whenever you cast an enchantment, put a four four angel into play. Yeah. Whatever the hell that thing was, it wasn't a good deck. But now that you have two of these guys, the card advantage you get from just paying like Hyena Umbra, which is something you want to play in the first place. I mean, you're drawing two cards, giving your core spirit dancer plus three plus three and first strike. That's good. Yeah. See, I think about this card in terms of, like, really obnoxious casual decks with mm-hmm. the Umbras, like Bear Umbra and uh, Hyena Umbra, but also Gigantiform. Because, yeah, because Gigantiform needed you to draw a card. Yeah, I want a 10-10, <laughs> or 10, sorry, 10-12 uh, core wizard no, that draws me a it'd card. Be a, it'd be a 10 uh, 10 Regular 10-10. Oh, yeah, 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 because Gigantiform replaces his Dribbling Toughness. Sorry. I knew I was right it's when I first said it. I'm a little dumb. It's it's okay, but then on turn 5, you'd have a 10-10 with Trample that ended up drawing you a card, and it'd be attacking and killing people. So you know what, Trevor? It's okay. I accept the fact that you messed that up. Do not patronize me, you fool. Do you want to talk about um Liv, Liv Lana, Long and Prosper, or do you want me to talk Although about Although I love Angels... I love clerics even more. That that's a weird thing to say. Okay, so uh, Hedron Field Purus. Um, this is a cleric. It's a rare. Costs two and a white with a level up of two and a white. Starts off at a zero three. Levels one through four. If a source would deal damage to you or a permanent you control, prevent one of that damage. It's a one four. At level five plus, if a source would deal damage to you or a permanent you control, prevent two of that damage. All right. So I love clerics. I, I don't know if you know this. Like, I got started, like, after the first influx of clerics. Like, but then I saw Battletide Alchemist. And this is easily one of my favorite cards because I'm a white player and it's awesome. So, Battletide Alchemist is from Morning Tide. It costs three white, white. It's a Kithen cleric. If a source would deal damage to a player, you may prevent X of that damage where X is the number of clerics you control. So, basically, she says that you never block ever because you just have clerics. So, I don't know. I always have wanted. To build an awesome cleric deck that just has four Battletide Alchemists. And um, this Hedron Field Purus is definitely a good card that can go in that. The Urza's armor ability is just great. 
by the way. So that means that you get the awesome mythic. Yeah. What's Urza's armor? Urza's armor, I believe, costs six. Yeah. Costs six. It's uh, if a source would deal damage, do you prevent one of that damage? Oh. Okay. I was thinking yeah. of I, I was thinking of Empirical Plate. The one that like plus one plus one for every card in your hand for whatever reason. Oh. Uh, uh, nope. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that card's good, but to me, it essentially costs six mana, because if you play it as a 0-3 and they bolt it, like, I know I'm using the, it dies to removal, like, uh, excuse. But it does die to removal. But if it started as a 0-4 and then became, like, a 1-4, I think it would be significantly better. But that's just... Well, yeah. Um, the next card I'm going to talk about is Liv... Linv... Come on, you can do it. Linvala, Protector of Silence. Woo! I did it. All right. Two and two white, legendary creature angel. Whoa, legend. Awesome. Totally just realized that. That's cool. EDH general. Um, It's a 3-4. It has flying and activated abilities of creatures your opponent's control cannot be activated. Now, wait. There's something I got to get out here now. So for those people who are like, oh, my God, they printed an answer to Blood Raid Elf. No. It's activated abilities, not triggered abilities. Yeah. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Just, just saying. But it is activated abilities, and the thing that sticks out to me the most about this is it's all activated abilities. Not. Yeah. Normally, when you see the phrase "activated abilities cannot be activated," it's non-mana activated. Like the 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 non-mana is in there somewhere, and this doesn't mm-hmm. say that. So this turns off Land War Elf and like Jaraga Tree Speaker and Noble Hierarch, which is really odd. Yeah. I don't know. I don't mind it. I think it's about time. Those Lenore Elves were getting away with a lot. I think. By the way, I don't, I don't think you mentioned this, but this is a mythic. Just putting it out there. It, it is? I couldn't tell. Yeah, it's I'm a mythic. And I have a headache. Anyway. It's all good. Anyway. <laughs> no, but I think it actually probably would make a pretty interesting um, EDH general. Because it turns off activated abilities, and, or of creatures at least. And I think there are a decent amount of creatures in EDH that have activated abilities. That's completely true. It it just it turns off a lot of things. It I mean like don't get fooled. There there might be people at your pre releases that try and make you believe that like triggered abilities aren't gonna resolve. If if you're playing against someone that has this out, Linvala Protector of Silence, and you think they're pulling some weird shenanigans on you saying that stuff you activate, don't activate, call a judge. It's worth it, guys. Alright? Like if you if you play your wall of omens and the and your opponent says that doesn't work because I have Linvala out, slap them in the face and tell them they're stupid. Although you might get a game loss for that. Just tell them I'll let you do it, and it'll be fine. I've... Oh Tom. Alright. Uh I just have a quick question. Do you know if morph is an activated ability? Yes. It is? I'm pretty sure. I'm trying to look right now. I will get back to you on that. More trigger rule. Or anyways, so this means that I get to like talk about one of my favorite cards I've seen in a while, and it's near death experience. Ah, huh, Trevor, near death experience. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so it costs two white, white, white. It has kind of decent art. It kind of looks like the new Planeswalker Gideon is standing on top of a tentacle graveyard. And it says, at the beginning of your upkeep, if you have exactly one life, you win the game. 
And the flavor text is, Lands ravaged, cities in ruins, so many live sacrifices, and yet, there is no other word for it but victory. So yeah, this is not constructed applicable, but totally casual. Like, you're, if you're playing Worship in your deck, you're playing near deck experience. I think this card is awesome. Like, beyond awesome. I'm such a fan of this card, it's not even funny. So, um, I guess it just appeals to my insides, but it's great. That did appeals to your insides. That was a very odd way to word that. Oh, I just looked I, it up. I do not believe that morph is uh, is activated. I think it's static. If I'm wrong, really? please, yeah. Like I was kind of confused about that. I didn't play that uh, much with morph, and it, it confuses me. Are you talking about playing a creature as a morph or paying its morph cost to flip it over? Paying its morph cost to flip it over. And oh. I just looked, and I couldn't find it. If if any of our listeners out there know. Which I'm, I'm sure some of you, most of you probably know, and I'm just being silly. Let me know, because if Morph costs, at least the cost to flip it, is considered activated, which I don't think it is, but if it is, um, then you can't, your opponents can't uh, morph things if Lilvana is out. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. But anyway, um. I mean, like, it. someone on their third turn plays a Morph creature, and you play Lilvana, and they go, sad face. Yeah, but that's that's if it works. We're not sure. I'm not going to give any false information there. I honestly don't know, and I tried to look but couldn't find it. And what I found leads me to believe that it doesn't. But if you do know, please let us know. I'd really like to know. It, it's awesome. Okay, so the next card is Nomad Gathering. And sorry about this. The Trevor wants to the French it. the French version of this card is Rassemblement de Nomades, which I know that was totally a Spanish accent. But it's kind of awesome. Okay. Uh, Nomad Gathering is 4 and 2 white. It's a sorcery. It's a uh, rare. It says put a 1-1 one, one white core creature token onto the battlefield for each creature you control. And it has rebound. That's kind of awesome. So, so basically... No, you get this one. Yeah. It's um, all you. All I was going to say was... like what It was basically what you told me before we started recording. And that's... This fits mm-hmm. right. This fits in the curve, quote unquote, right after um, Conqueror's that's Pledge. To- there you go. I was yeah. totally looking it up for a second there. No, I got it. Conqueror's Pledge, which is the three in, or three white and two. Yeah, three white, 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 two. I'll put five one one cores into play, and if you six. It, oh yeah, six one one cores into play, and if you kick it, it's twelve. So yeah, you you play that, then you nomad gather, and you yeah, that's a lot of dudes. Just saying. And then you get to rebound it and get to 24. That's, that's a lot. It seems like they just... As Magic gets more... like As Magic gets older as a game, it seems like they're just making the math more complicated. Because that... I'm I sure, think... I'm pretty sure that's a factorial or something. That's, no, that's potential <laughs> maybe? I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not the biggest math person. But I mean, like, okay. Allies... One like one by one, they're not bad. But when you fill a revival or patriarch's bidding and like twelve come out of the graveyard, you have to do calculus <laughs> to figure out what the hell is going on. It's kind of ridiculous. It's 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 obnoxious. It's like all right, so this one and then these stack and uh, no, and you need like twenty seven thousand dice. But anyway, you can go ahead, Tom. <laughs> okay, so besides the fact that Nomad Gathering is definitely awesome, it's it it won't. It might not be an EDH staple, but it's definitely good in those white decks that just like to churn out soldiers all day. Like, they play, um, Banalage Commander, they play Mobilization, they play a lot of different things that just put a shite load of tokens on the field. This is great for those decks. 
Um, also, by the way, they print a, they reprint, they put a functional reprint of, um, what's her name? You're wrong. Soul Warden in them. How am I incorrect? It's, it's not a functional reprint. It says whenever another creature and ent- oh, it's May. Aha! Oh my God, it's May. Thank God. It's a significantly better. <laughs> so yeah. Well, it's significantly better for like the people who pay attention to magic. I remember so many times at M10 drafts, people not paying attention to their soul wardens, and then like you would have won if you weren't required to remind them that they gained a life. Yep. I was so annoyed by that. I if you're being stupid, it should be your problem. Yeah, it seems but, like they're um, weaning out those uh, mandatory abilities. Yeah, there's been a lot more May abilities lately. Which I think is a good idea. I like May abilities more than yeah. uh, must abilities. And I'm the type of player at the end of a game, or in a, in a casual game, I'll say it during the game, but at the end of a competitive game, I'll let my uh, opponent know if they miss triggers. Mm-hmm. At least, especially at the end of a match. Maybe not the end of all of my games, but I try to I try to at least be somewhat nice. I'm not saying everyone needs to, but that's just the way I play. But with cards like, uh, especially with cards like uh, Soul Ward. Soul Ward. Yeah, the must abilities. It just gets so frustrating. Yep. I mean, uh, all right. So all we, like a- all that we heard you say, Tom, was I mean, and then you sounded like R two D two. You went. And then you cut out. It was like you were being abducted by aliens. But uh, I was just going to say, I, I remember playing against stuff like, uh, in my last uh, Zen draft, actually, I, played, I was playing against a guy with uh, a Bloodseeker out. And um, I was literally at two life. He had missed three Bloodseeker tri- like, triggers. And thank God that thing is a May. Because like I, I literally would have been dead. But like after a while, I noticed he completely forgot about the creature on the battlefield. And like... It creates such a difference. Bloodseekers from Zendikar, it's one to black for a vampire sham, and whenever a creature enters the battlefield under an opponent's control, you may have that player lose one life. So, I mean, it makes people pay more attention to the game. I do think it raises the bar a little bit for people that are entering the game. I mean, it used to be like you could give a kid a bunch of decks with like soul wards and stuff, and it would almost teach them about triggers because someone would have to keep on reminding them to pay attention. But then again... There's this too. So, Soul Follower, it's a functional reprint, sort of, of Soul Warden. Yeah. And then the next card you should talk about is Punctured Light, because I got distracted by Soul Warden. No, I'm going to let you talk about uh, Student of Warfare. Yay! Go ahead. Okay, so, Student of Warfare is awesome. Also, it costs one white, it's a human knight, and it's a rare. Also really cool, because it used to be a night deck that Kevin used to run. Where is Kevin? Anyway, that Kevin <laughs> that Kevin used to run, and um, it was really good. But anyway, so it's a human knight. It's a rare. It, ha- it levels up for one white. It starts out as a 1-1. One, one. Level 2 through 6. First striking 3-3. Three, three. Hmm. Level 7 plus. Double striking 4-4. Four, four. So uh, people have been comparing this card, and probably a card we're going to get to later, Cargan Dragonlord, to... Figure Destiny, right? This card, I think, is easier to compare to and holds up a little bit better than Cargan Dragonlord. Just because if you play this guy on turn one, turn two, you pump two white mana into him, and he's a 3-3 first striking, attacking your opponent, that's damn good. Like, wow. Whoa. Sorry. I, I just had the most, like, casual of epiphanies. Level up is really good with doubling season. 
<gasps> it's level counters. Yeah. What? <laughs> I just realized how awesome that was. I have the biggest smile on my face right now. But yeah, Student of Warfare to me, and I'm pretty sure to most other people, is the best leveler or the best one we've seen. How did I not notice that before? Really proficient card, uh, three three on turn two with first strike is basically unheard of. And I gotta say, I'm really, really fond of it. It's definitely living up to its like rare status. I think this is a card that Wizards could have made Mythic, but they didn't, and I'm really happy about it. Like. It's almost powerful enough to be a mythic, like Cargan Dragonlord is. We'll get to him later. But uh, I'm glad it's a rare yeah. because it's easier to get, and it doesn't feel like a mythic, you know? It just feels really streamlined and almost undercosted and just really good, but doesn't feel mythic. Not like, and here's your little segue, Transcendent, Transcendent Master. Yep. I This card, to me, does feel mythic, and it's weird. It, I don't know. If I would say it's, like, really awesome or what have you. But I like it. I have to say I like it. And I love the art on this card. I, I agree. Art, I think the art on this card is really cool. But it's 1 and 2 white for a 3-3 three, three human cleric. There you go, come Avatar. Um, and it's a level up of a colorless. That is really good. That's a that's very, very nice. So it can go in multicolored decks with ease. Between, it's like I said, it comes in naturally as a 3-3. Three, three. Between level 6 and 11, it's a <laughs> lifelinking 6-6. Six, six. And between and from levels 12 and up, it's a lifelinking 9-9 nine, nine that's indestructible. Yeah. So, I think, since Evan Rowan's gotten to these before, and we both watch him more than likely, he actually put this really well as saying, regardless, white has a 3-drop for 3. And, like, that's actually kind of good in itself. He's a mythic rare. He feels like a mythic rare, and he's going in my white EDH deck because I like him I honestly, a lot. Yeah, I feel like he, where Student of Warfare is an aggressive leveler, where you're pumping your mana into him almost instant, like instantaneously, and you're gonna swing with him and get him leveling really quickly. Transcendent Master seems like the type of leveler that's made for endgame. Mm-hmm. Like, he just like sits around and like when you're when you like have an extra two mana, you're like okay. He's got two level up counters, and then your opponent like doesn't care. They're just yeah. like, okay. But then when he becomes a six six lifelinker, he's like, oh, I probably should have taken care of that a while ago. Right. I feel like he's he's more of the leveler that's going to use your extra mana, whereas Student of Warfare is going to be your mana sink. Yeah, Student of Warfare is going to require you to use the mana, and, and Transcendent Master is just going to chill on the outside, just be like, yo, what's up? And like you might attack with him. I would honestly suggest not attacking with him so your opponent doesn't realize he's there and just sort of like leave him to like the wayside and just like at, just like at the end of your turn, oh, I'm just gonna pump three mana into him, just put three counters on it really casually, pass the turn, and then like he'll become a six six life flicker and your opponent's gonna be like, I feel stupid. <laughs> Alrighty, well I'm gonna let you talk about the next card as well because I'm a nice friend. So No no no. I, I'm pretty sure you like this card more than I do. You can have Wall of Omens. Yes! I'm so happy. Wall of Omens is fantastical. Tom and I were talking about this prior to hitting the record button, and neither of us played when Wall of Blossoms was around. But now we have Wall of Omens, and like Tom was saying, and I have to agree, it seems better in white than it does in mm -hmm. green. When I think of green, I think of giant worms attacking things or beasts. White is, like, holy and defensive, and this card is, like, the epitome of defense. One in a white 
creature wall. I like how it's still a wall, too. That's cool. It's a 0-4 with Defender. When it enters a battlefield, draw a card. I know that... Yeah, that, that although seems, also uncommon. Yeah, also uncommon. I know that might seem a bit lackluster, especially to newer players or EDH players, and especially with cards like Emrakul in the set along with it. But this card, it's going to redefine standard. I'm pretty sure. Maybe not. Dude, I am way too happy about this card. Like, Pat Chapin actually tweeted about it. said, I'm really sure Wall of Omens is my favorite card from ROE. And it's not my favorite, don't get me wrong, but goddamn is it close. It's it, like it's such a streamlined, well-designed card. It replaces itself when you play it. It doesn't die to bolt. It, it essentially mm-hmm. gives you that four-life buffer, or if they do path it, you get a land. And if they terminate it, then congrats, they're not using your their removal on another one of your creatures. Yeah. And okay. It's. Go ahead. It's great and banned. I mean, this is something. I mean, in standard, the Bant deck's been on the offensive. It's been called Mythic for a while, but this could actually bring back Bant. The best part about Bant is that it's basically unboltable. Uh, you have Rock's War Monk, and now you have Wall of Omens. You can just set up stuff behind it. I think it could bring back uh, Mono White Tokens uh, by itself, because I, Mono White Tokens, all the token producers are crazy high up. When you can just play this on turn two and just wait a little bit. That's kind of perfect. Yeah, I think this... I don't know about in standard necessarily, but in block. <laughs> for those who play block, I don't know. Oh my gosh, this, that's really good This block. with Perimeter Captain is ridiculous. Perimeter Captain turn one. Perimeter Captain, in case you don't remember, is a uncommon from World Wake. Yep. It's a 0-4, right? For a white. Yeah, 0-4 mm-hmm. for a white. Defender. Whenever a creature you control with Defender blocks, gain two life. Follow that up turn two with Wall of Omens. Your opponent shoots himself. It, okay. it just happens. You draw a card from the Wall of Omens coming into play, and then your opponent can essentially... I mean, what are they going to attack with? I mean, like, even if you attack with Burst Lightning... Attack with Burst Lightning? You, okay, you, yeah, you, your opponent attacks with Burst Lightning. You don't lose any life. Attack with Burst Lightning? When you attack with Ball Lightning, you don't <laughs> lose any life. There we go. And, I mean, this is really, really, really good. And if there wasn't another card coming way down in our spoiler in red, it would be a bajillion better. But in block, there's actually an answer to it, which is kind of weird. But, uh, no, no, no. I'm not going to say this and decry this as the end of Red Deck Wins, but it's the end of Red Deck wins. <laughs> Tom, you think every set is the end of Red Deck wins? <laughs> no, but seriously, like, okay, after being at the at the GP or Orlando, and then sorry, Star City Games, two, whatever, in Orlando, playing Red Deck wins, flashing black. Whenever your opponent lays down the uh, Firewalker, you kind of already lost. So then you sideboard in your death marks and you kill them and you try and overrun them, but it doesn't happen, stuff like that, right? Now that there's a main deck answer to stuff like Hellspark Elemental and Goblin Guide, you're kind of screwed as red deck wins. Because when someone plays Wall of Omens, you can't bolt it, you can't Searing Blaze it, you have to get the five mana to kill it with um, to kill it with either Earthquake or with Burst Lightning. Uh, you have to try and fly over it in red. Because red flies. You know, all those flyers in red. Don't you dare make me play a Dragon Whelp. I will be mad. <laughs> Oh, Tom. All right. 
Uh, next card, do you want to talk about cast through time? Um, you know what? I'll take... Sure, why not? I was looking down at the rest of blue, but it sucks. So, cast through time. It costs four and three blue. It's a mythic rare enchantment. Instant and sorcery spells you control have rebound. Illustrated by Sultan Boros and Gabor Zavixai. No, Zavixai. No, no. Still wrong? Zolan Boros and Gabor Zixai. And Gabor... What was that? Zixai. Zixai. So you just pretend the S's aren't there. Yeah. Okay, that sounds cool. So, alright. EDH fodder? I actually don't know. Um, I mean, well, like, when people first saw Mana Reflection, a lot of people weren't sure I was going to interact with EDH, but it ended up being freaking awesome. This card, on the other hand, like, I thought, sure, it's going to be played in Group Hug, but it's instant sorcery spells you control have rebound, so now it's just sort of like, how the hell is blue getting to seven mana? Uh, Blue does, though. I mean, I've, I, I have mono blue. I have a mono blue EDH. Like, granted, it's Merfolk, but blue can get to seven mana, especially in EDH. I mean, it's easier for green and white or like the other colors to do it, but blue can do it. And and don't even just think about this in a mono blue deck. Imagine this in a Thraxamundar deck. Oh wow, factor fictioning twice sounds kind of fun. It, um, I was thinking about cruel ultimatum, but that's cool too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna cruel you. By the way, next upkeep you're gonna lose. That'd yeah. be fun. I mean, it's it's just it's an obnoxious card because of the and it's all instant and sorcery spells you control. It's mm-hmm. not just blue ones where like I'm used to how conspire works where you can only do red and green with warp. It's yeah. all instants and sorceries you control. You put this in a five color EDH deck. You play, oh easily. You play. I mean, granted, it costs... Conflux. Yeah, Conflux. You just... you Take the whole list of good spells for EDH and think about doing it twice. All right, All right you, Trevor, you, you sold me. You Calm know a down. good example? You know a really good example? And this could go in a GR of the uh, Gitu deck? Dragon Storm. I do not... <laughs> okay, that was a weird laugh, but still... Because then, in because resp- then before the next dragon storm rebounds, you can just play a bunch of stuff, anyways. That's also instant sorcery speed, and then you get more dragons, and then those end up resolving again. At your wow, this card's awesome. <gasps> Thank you, Tom. <laughs> oh, I like this card now. <laughs> it takes me like mental math to figure out how awesome some cards are. Yeah. So then I guess you get. Do you like distortion smite? Um, I like Distortion Smite, but I want to talk about it in conjunction with another card. Go right ahead. Okay. Distortion Sprite. Sprite? Distortion Sprite. That's a fairy from uh, some set that I made up, and it's a shapeshift. No. Distortion Smite. It's a one-mana blue sorcery. Target creature gets plus zero, or pardon me, plus one plus zero until end of turn, and is unblockable until end of turn. And is unblockable this turn. That's, that's rewarding. It's so weird. And it has rebound. Um, this has not mm-hmm. been completely confirmed, just like most of the other cards we're talking about, or at least some of the other cards. So, don't get me wrong, this might not work. But the other card that I want to bring up alongside of it is Surakar Spellblade. Surakar Spellblade uh. is a rare, but it's one blue-blue for a 2-1. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, you may put a charge counter on Surakar Spellblade. Whenever Surakar Spellblade deals combat damage to a player, you may draw X cards or X as a number of charge counters on it. Alright, Surakar Spellblade... 
auto including mono blue EDH decks. Whenever you counter something, whenever you do pretty much anything with your mono blue EDH deck, Sir Spellblade becomes even better. Yeah. So you play this on Sir Spellblade. Because you play it, he gets a counter, and he gets plus one plus zero and is unblockable. You attack them, they take three, you draw a card, it rebounds your next turn, you do it again on him, he becomes a three one again, and you attack and draw two cards. You sold me, Trevor. Like you sold me. I know that's it's kind of using a mediocre card to make a bad card better, but those two cards are really good, and it shows that Sir Cross Spellblade can be awesome. Well, actually, to be honest, I was a fan of Sir Cross Spellblade from the beginning, except for his... I don't know. I'm not a fan of the art. It's a bit of... It's too green for me. It looks like one of the oofs from... Uh... Yeah, it does, from uh, Eventide. Yeah. Like, what the hell, man? He Dave looks... Kendall, step your game up. He, he looks like his brother should be uh, Gilderbrand. Yes. Him and Gilderbrand go skipping through fields of, I don't know, marshy water or marshy forests. Although, Gilderborn plus this guy is actually kind of a good... No, that was cool. Thing. That worked out really well. I'm awesome. <laughs> Alright, so the Wait. next card we're going to talk about... One more thing. You know what is works really well with Sir Curse Spellblade? What? Doubling season. Anyway. God... God damn doubling season. Like, that card continues to rise in price just because everything that comes out is good with it. Yeah. What they should... If they, re- if they reprinted doubling season in this set, like in, in Rise of the Eldrazi, how happy would you be? All of the Eldrazi spawns would make more than one. And now we know why they didn't reprint it. Anyway, so Echo Mage. Wow, this guy looks a lot like LeBron James. All right, <laughs> so Echo Mage. He costs white, blue, blue. He's a rare human wizard. He's a 2-3 with a level up of 1 and a blue. Remember, I didn't say this guy was good in the beginning. So, he's a, for levels 2-3, he's a 2-4 with blue-blue, tap, copy, targeted, instant or sorcery spell. You may choose new targets with copy. That's kind of meh. Level 4 plus. For blue-blue, tap, copy, target, instant or sorcery spell twice. You may choose new targets for the copies. It's a 2-5. That one is kind of good. Um, he gets around counter spells really well. You just copy their counter and counter it. That's always good. Um, standard applications, none, probably. Um, EDH applications, awesome. Two thumbs up from here. I love this guy in EDH. Having twin cast all the time is great. It's the only reason why I don't play twin cast is because I only have one of them. And you never draw it, or you always draw it without another instant or sorcery spell, you want a twin cast. But when you have it on a guy, it's so much better. So... I'm a fan of this guy in EDH. Two thumbs, way up. I completely agree. Uh, the next uh, I, feel, I feel like Hades from Hercules in, in the stupid commercial, where at the end he, Hades goes, two thumbs, way up, and his thumbs go on fire. Only you would would quote movies like like that. You're, uh, you're a freak. Apparently only me and the other Tom, I mean Papa Bear, because <laughs> he's a huge movie buff too. I feel bad now, because like, I didn't know we can put movies into this podcast. Because I know way too much about them. Just because they do it doesn't mean it's right. (laughs) Alright, I'm going to talk about another card, and it's also a mental condition. Um, I actually think this card's going to be pretty good and limited, if not great. It's Narcolepsy. Mm -hmm. One and a blue for an enchantment aura, enchant creature. At the beginning of each upkeep, if enchanted creature is untapped, tap it. I think that's really cool. That It's a blue pseudo-removal spell, 
And it's better than Paralyzing Grasp. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. I'm really glad there are no creatures with untap in the set because that would just get obnoxious. Like the untap ability. Oh yeah, I see what you're saying. Like with Fate Stitcher and stuff. Yeah, he's gonna be tapped, untap him, fling a negative one, negative one counter. That's not Fate Stitcher. That's Leech Bonder. I mean that one. Yeah. Anyways, no. Uh, this card is really good though. I really do like it. Um, I think it's a really cool idea. Because a lot of times when you play stuff like Paralyzing Grasp, you're mad because they still get an attack out of it. But now it's like you equip it to your opponent's like huge green fatty, and now he's tapped. Yeah. Forever. That's kind of awesome. Yep. You want to talk about the next one? Um, if it's, are you talking about Renegade Doppelganger Indeed by Gents? I am. Alright, so Renegade, whoa, what the hell is with this art? Okay, so Renegade Doppelganger has the art of two weird leech-looking guys looking at each other intensely. It's kind of like, okay, you remember like one of the original arts for clones is this guy with like a longbow shooting with a crossbow shooting another guy with a crossbow? Just say yes. Yes. Okay, so they're looking at each other. This is, you take that perspective and you like rotate it so you're looking from the bottom of the guy on the left, but instead of two guys with crossbows, it's two weird looking things with things coming out of their arms and little tentacles coming out of their mouths and look like leeches and it's actually kind of cool, but still. So Renegade Doppelganger for one in a blue, it's a shapeshifter, it's a rare. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may have Renegade Doppelganger become a copy of that creature until end of turn, it's a zero one. To truly know a creature, slither a mile in its tentacles. <laughs> Seriously, I didn't read that before I read that right now. That's hilarious. Okay. So, I don't like it because it's until end of turn and it's your control. I, th- I thought it was much better. I thought it was just whenever another creature enters the battlefield, you may have Renegade Doppelganger become a copy of that creature until end of turn. But that's a different card in, in entirety. This isn't as good. It has to be creatures that are under your control. Then when it becomes your opponent's turn again, it's a zero one. Mm-hmm. So, can I make you like this card? Sure. All right. Um, you, you notice how it loses? It becomes a creature until end of turn, right? Uh huh. So it doesn't die from end of turn triggers, right? I wouldn't think so. Hellspark Elemental, Hell's Thunder, and Ball Lightning. But it would still, because my ball lightnings die. It doesn't. Oh, I don't think it does, does it? No, it doesn't, for a fact. I know it doesn't. Turn one, Goblin Guide. Turn two, Renegade Doppelganger. Turn three, Hell's Thunder. Swing, swing, swing. Yeah, because filter lands aren't here anymore, but still. It does You could still, I'm sure there's a way to do it. The Grixis dual land. That's, there's some way to do it. I, this I, is, I like the idea it dies to every kind of removal ever made. No, it doesn't. This does not Okay, it, it doesn't to, die to Hydroblast. This does not, not die to Naturalize. Thank you very much. It should. Cause it's... You just... Okay, I'm I'm not a fan of this card, to be honest. Uh, I, don't, I, I really don't like that it's only your creatures. I think they could have definitely just made it cost one more, made it your opponent's creatures too. I think that would have been great. It has uh, it your creature pseudo-haste. You play Emrakul. You make your Renegade Doppelganger 15-15 with Annihilator 6 and attack. Then you get your next turn and you play, like, Ulamog or something. You attack. No, it becomes a, it becomes a copy of that creature, so Emrakul would die due to Legend Rule. Oh, yeah. It doesn't work with Legends. I lied. 
Did you say urban legends? It doesn't work with legends. Yeah. So I like it. It's a, it's another clone variant. I think it's cool. And it does work with legends if you have a mirror gallery out. People always mention, like, there's some things that people mention with EDH that annoy me after a while. Like mirror, one like of them mirror is gallery. mirror gallery. Mm-hmm. That gets annoying after a while. The other one is, uh, it's some huge overcosted fatty that sucks. I bet you'll be good in EDH. Yeah. Mostly it's sad because it's true, <laughs> but. Alright, um, I mean. I think there yeah. are three more blue cards in total that I want to talk about. I don't know about you. The next one that I'm I... going to talk about is Sea Beyond. Yep. It's a one and a blue sorcery. Draw two cards, then shuffle a card from your hand into your library. There was no reason this couldn't have been an instant. I agree, but I still think this card's good. Is it? Oh, it's definitely good. I, when I first read it, I think I think this card's good because I read it wrong the first time. I read, draw two cards, then shuffle a random card from your hand into your library. Uh, that's, that's, that would make it worse. That would be awful. <laughs> But it wouldn't be awful. It'd just be not as good. You, you know what deck I think this could see play in? Um. In, in what? Sorry? In standard. Uh. Blue White Merfolk. That's not in. You're a monster. In Polymorph. Oh, wow. That is really good. Yeah, because you draw two, and then if you drew your. Just like the reason why Jace is good, except for the fact that he's awesome in every way ever. Um. Yeah, you can shuffle your polymorph targets into your deck again. That's wow, Trevor. Good call. So I like it. Oh, you want to talk about the next card, Tom? Yeah, uh, Sphinx of Magosi. Deal. So this guy's so cool. First off, the art for him is freaking awesome. He okay. So he's got this like Indian headdress thing on, and it's like a Sphinx-looking thing, which is really, it looks a lot like a Manticore, to be honest, but we have no idea what the hell a Manticore is, so whatever. Sphinx and Magosi for three blue, 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 so six CMC in total. It's a rare Sphinx. Uh, it has flying. It's a 6-6 six, six, with the awesome ability of two and a blue. Draw a card, then put a plus one, plus one counter on Sphinx and Magosi. That's really good. Like, not only will this win you limited games, there's a distinct possibility of this guy seeing standard play. Um, He's a... I I know you're like, ah! No, seriously, the card advantage you get off of of this guy at instant speed at the end of turn, just the stuff you can do with him is ridiculous. Uh, Playing with Lore Scare Quotal, by the way. Oh, yeah. That's fun. Um, So... Go ahead. I... I like him. I think he could be the bi- another big blue finisher. I know the reason why Blue White plays Jar Jar Sphinx is because he has Shroud, but I still like this guy a lot more than him because he can block him. He can get as big as you want him to be, and he draws you cards. He's also awesome in Blue EDH, so I'm going to shift that version to you. Shifted what version to me? The EDH version of this card. Oh, oh, oh yeah, okay. Understandable. Um, Like you said, it's it, I don't really have much more to say. In EDH, it's also good because you have excess mana, and he draws you cards and puts counters on himself. He's also really good in a Simic EDH deck because, um, doubling season. Anyway. Experiment Krage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's cool. So for your Experiment Krage deck, you know how Sphinx Magosi, which is awesome. <laughs> like, there's two big thumbs up coming up here. And doubling season, because doubling season goes in everything. I'm so mad at doubling season right now. Oh, uh, yeah. You know who I'm not mad at? 
The, is he a teacher? Yes, he is. Venerated teacher. We are like the kings of terrible segues. You know, <laughs> we're better at segueing than that guy who was on the Kiberapur that invented the segue that had the bionic arm. We're better at segueing than him. Because we're just awesome. Well, <laughs> Trevor, have you ever been on a segue? Yes, I have. Because I have. I feel like a, I, I felt like a, I felt like a douche. I've got to be honest. It was so much fun. I felt like I My neighbor wearing a black turtleneck talking on an iPhone and using an iPad while I wrote it. That's what I felt like. iPads weren't even out, but that's what I felt like. Okay, that's going a bit too far. It's not that cool. Anyways, talk about um, this card that I'm way too happy about. Venerated Teacher. Venerated Teacher is two and a blue, a two-two common. Common. Bing, oh, bing, shit, bing, it's bing, a bing. common. Yeah, it's a common from uh, Rise. Also, by the way, just to get it out there and let it be known, it's good with doubling season. <laughs> Oh, I hate you so much. It's also doubling season. Um, when venerated teacher enters the battlefield, put two level counters on each creature you control with level up. And now level up creatures got awesome. Yeah, this this card is ridiculous, dude. It's by the way, it's also ETB, which used to be CIPT, which means momentary blink. Oh yeah. Awesome. Wow. So, casual deck makers, get on that shit. Yeah, even (laughs) limited. Like, you draft a deck that's blue and has levelers and, like, blue X with levelers and venerated teachers, I think that'll be a limited archetype. Yeah, because venerated teacher is awesome. And common. and common. I, I, I really can't believe this guy is common, actually. I, I, this is this is an un- uncommon. Like, really, guys. The next card that I want to talk about is a counterspell that's better than cancel. Trevor, that's not possible. It is, though. Unified Will. This card... Oh, never mind. Th- this card, it doesn't even have flavor text yet, but I'm sure, like, it's going to be E Pluribus Unum. That should be the flavor text of this card. <laughs> Out of many, one. All right. It's an instant... It's one and a blue, so yes, it's a two-mana counter spell. This is going to be fantastic. Woo! It's it's going to be like counter all spells your opponents control for the rest of the game. No, it's not. It, it <laughs> Its text reads, counter target spell, if you control more creatures than that spell's controller. And now we continue down the spoiler list. That, that card, I don't even understand why they printed it. They're just like, here, Blue, have a two-mana counter. That's awful. <laughs> Seriously, somebody got into Wizards and, and just, like, snuck around and changed all the counter spells before they printed them. And, like, Wizards couldn't do anything about it for some reason. Like, this card used to be good. I bet you it was good at one point. Yeah. It's a, like, counter target spell if you control less creatures than that spell's controller. That and they decided awesome. that was too good. But no, yeah, that would have been awesome. But, uh, I don't know. I'm not a fan. I guess that weird green-blue, the blue-white deck that actually plays creatures that wants to play a two-mana counterspell can play this very situational counterspell if they wish. Yeah. You want to talk about the next card? Um, I think it's going to be... I want to choose... It's either going to be Cadaver Imp or Consume the Meek. It's up to you. Three. Choose two. What? Consume the meek. Okay, go. All right, because we don't need to talk about cadaver imp. Consume the meek. Uh, it's an instant. Uh, it's a rare. It costs three black black. It says destroy all creatures with converted mana cost three or less. They can't be regenerated. 
and the flavor text is Emrakul is so powerful that it can turn off the sun, but then it gets too cold, so it makes another sun. All right. Th- I don't think that's the actual flavor text. I just have, a very, can- I have a very quick question before we get to the actual text of the card. Because of that flavor text, it makes me curious. Is Emrakul so powerful that it can create a boulder so heavy Emrakul can't even lift it? Or can it create a boulder so heavy that it can't roll it up the hill? Right. Anyway, I'm going to let you go now. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so this card is great. Uh, it's an instant speed, semi-wrath. Um, it's going to be better in standard than it's going to be in EDH, okay. which I think is weird. But it's true. Um, I mean, unless you're playing against... Unless in your architect and EGH, which there are, you're playing against a bunch of people who like to make little token guys and kill you with them, Consume the Meek probably isn't going to see much play. I mean, if there's a guy that always brings, like, a tribal elf deck and a tribal goblin deck, then sure, play Consume the Meek. It's an instant speed wrath for all their creatures. If you're not, then it's probably going to be worthless. But, um... It's awesome and standard. Almost everything's three or less. It kills which, well, Yeah, which when we get to Inquisition of Kozilek, that's going to matter. But uh, Consume the Meek is good. Yeah, it does kill levelers. That's a good point. I want to talk about a casual deck with Cadaver Imp before I talk about Consuming Vapor. Deal. Okay. Cadaver Imp is the two black one uh, imp. It has flying. It's a one one. When Cadaver Imp enters the battlefield, return target creature from your graveyard to your hand. The only cards that I thought of, I read this, and I'm like, you know what? I, it can't even be EDH, because you need more than one Cadaverim. So, four Cadaverims, four Skull Climbs. I mean, uh... you're going to hate you, because you're playing multiple Skull Climbs. But you play a Cadaverim, you clamp it. Or you play a Cadaverim, get a thing back from your graveyard. The Cadaverim, Kill it with Skull Climb. Yeah, and then keep doing it. That's awesome. I just noticed that, the according to Salvation, Cadaverim in the card text is spelled differently than Cadaverimp in the card name. That's probably just Salvation being stupid, though. Probably. Next card that I want to talk well, about, though, is Consuming Vapor. And that is three and a black, sorcery, it's a rare. Target player sacrifices a creature. You gain life equal to that creature's toughness. Rebound! Whoa. I totally thought it was just target player sacrifices a creature. So, some not-that-smart people, no offense, have been saying that this might impact standard. Not really. Will it impact EDH? Hell yeah. I, I, this is of, a, I totally disagree with you, but go ahead. Really? Well, in EDH, this is great. You're in a multiplayer format where you can choose different players when it rebounds. You also get to gain life equal to their toughness, and it sack. So you get to hit stuff like uh, Earl decks that only play Earl. That's good. Um, I really, really like this card in EDH. Like, sincerely like this card in EDH. I honestly, oh. like, I like this card in EDH a hell of a lot, but I really think you're undervaluing it for standard. By the way, its art's kind of cool, but continue. How so? Because, alright, um, turn three, in Vampires, just say, turn three, you play, um... Gatekeeper. Gatekeeper. They sack a dude. They play another dude. Turn four, you consuming vapors. You attack. Turn five, you consuming vapors, attack. Okay, that's kind of good. It's, it's good in a black aggro deck, or a black aggro control deck, or even a black control deck. Like, there, I think the reason you don't think this looks good is because there aren't decks that play black, besides vamps. And vamps yeah. isn't even played that much. But imagine this in, like, a Grixis control deck with Cruel. That could get kind of ridiculous. I, I think it's... Okay. The reason I didn't think it was going to be good was because it cost four. But then... I 
to be honest, not a lot of people know how rebound work right now. And so looking at it again after just reading it for the first time, the ability to then at the beginning of your fifth turn make your opponent sacrifice something basically for free is kind of unheard of and really good. Good. I'm glad to have swayed you. Uh, the next yeah, turn... you did. Plus, if you just play another Consuming Vapors that turn, you just get to start laughing. Yeah. I'm really glad, though, that Rebound doesn't work with um, with Cascade, because that would just have been dumb. <laughs> uh, the next card I want to talk about is Drana Calastria Bloodchief. Are we talking about the new EDH General? Yeah. Three and yep. two black, four, four, legendary creature, vampire, shaman. It's a flyer. X and two black. Target creature gets minus zero, minus X until end of turn, and Drena gets plus X plus zero until end of turn. It is a kill spell. It is a vampire. It is a 4-4. It is amazing. This card is awesome, and it's a legend, so it is another black EDH general. I like her a lot. And she's also in the intro pack, the black one. Yeah, so you can already get your foily goodness drawn a clash your blood chief out of the intro pack, which is really cool that Wizards did that. I'm, I'm not sure if it was on purpose, but it's really cool. I agree. So I think the best way to compare her for um, EDH is just to put her up against other basic black generals. So besides her, we have Maga Trader to Mortals. Uh, he's X, black, black, black. Maga Trader to Mortals comes into play with X plus one plus one counters on it. When Maga comes into play, target player loses life equal to the number of plus or one plus. Equal to... Oh, Tommy, uh, you cut he's, out there. You, you said equal to and then you... Whatever. Look up MAGA Trader Immortals. Done. Anyways, so he's he's always been a good EDH general. It's been fun to make your opponents lose life and put counters on him. I think she's strictly better than him. Having a repeatable removal spell is great in any format, and it's great in EDH. Also, just the ability to be able to sack your own stuff when people try and control magic it is kind of good. Yeah. So, already she's better than one of the established generals. I would like to point out that uh, 99 EDH problems... MPG Color Pie, Robbie. Uh, he actually is doing articles on all of the legends as they're spoiled. And uh, he did an article on Drana and compared her mm-hmm. to um, more uh, Trader Immortals. And the article is really, really good. So check out 9980H Problems. The write-up is really good, and it does talk about why she's a good general. In case you have any doubts or like to see it in text, head over there. The blog is really good in general. That was That was punny. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm it was it was punny. Okay, well then, the blog is, you have her. The blog is good in general. Come on, it's an EDH blog. Come on. Oh, okay, okay. There we go. Okay, I'll give it to you. So, I mean, you have her. You have Anna on the Ruin Sage, who is the uh, three black black vampire shaman four three at the beginning. You have keep each player sacrifice a non vampire creature. When you compare those two. That one depends. Anawan gives it to you for free. He's more based around vampires. Drana, Kalashrio, Bloodchief is just more of a flying 4-4 that kills stuff. I think in this one, it depends on the deck you're playing. If you're trying to play a controlling deck, Anawan's better. The ability to be able to abyss your opponents at the beginning of your upkeeps is, like, great. Drana is better in, like, if you're trying to go either Suicide Black or just trying to get there really fast. Because she'll just destroy the one blocker you don't want to verse and attack in. Um, she's also probably going to get there a lot with general damage. Yeah. Because when, cause turn six, you're probably giving something negative zero, negative four. She's becoming a f- eight four and attacking. So 
she's great. Yeah. Um, Next card I'm going to mention is good. It's going to be played in standard. I don't think it'll be played in EDH. That's Inquisition of Kozalek. One black man. I. Go ahead. I like this card a lot. Yeah. I thought this was a lot better than than it was though. I will say that because I was reading it on my iPhone, and originally I thought it said for one black sorcery uncommon target player reveals his or her hand. You choose a card from it with converted mana cost three or less. That player oh. discards that card, and I was like, hold up, excuse me. Did you just say non-land? Uh, you can choose a land card. Then I reread it. It said non-land card, and I cried a little bit inside. But uh, no, no. In case you don't know what it does, it's like Tom said. Uh, target player reveals his or her hand. You choose a non-land card from it. Yeah. Um, you choose a non-land card from it with converted mana cost three or less. That player discards that card. The art's really cool. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's another Duress-ish type card. I like it a lot, to be honest. I think it's a it's a good mm-hmm. card all around. I don't know. I, it, it, if you've played with Duress before, you know that sometimes you get into those situations where you're, like, versing blue-white control, and you have to side them out. Because how likely is it going to be that they're going to have the one Iona in hand. With this, you can you can Inquisition them, you can take out their Cancel, their Path, a lot of different things. So, it's non-creature, right? It's creature. No, it's non-creature, non-land. The rest is Never non-creature, mind, I like. non-land. Let's reverse that. So you're reversing Eldrazi Green, right? <laughs> you get the Inquisition of Kotelek, their Leatherback Bailoth, they're not a little reliquary. They're anything, basically. So, yes, that guy. So, Inquisition of Kozilek, awesome. Okay. Really good. On I want to place it fast. On a completely side topic, but that we'll talk about in the well next half of this podcast, Knight of the Reliquary is incredible in EDH. Like, <laughs> OMG WTF BBQ. One of the most ridiculous cards I've ever played in EDH. I had Knight of the Reliquary and Mother Ravoons out, and I was... Oh. Anyway, I'll get to that tomorrow. The next card I want to talk about is a card that will also be good in EDH, and that is Nikara Reverent. 4 and 2 black, 4-4, four, four, Vampire Shade. Cool cool set of creature types there. It is a Mythic Rare. Whenever you tap a Swamp for mana, add black to your mana pool. So it's a mana reflection for your Swamps. And black mana, or tap of black, Nikara. Nikara Revenant gets plus one plus one until end of turn. But luckily she starts out as a 4-4 four, four shade, not as a 1-1 one, one shade. Yeah, so good card. She's also a mythic. I think she deserves to be a mythic. I, I like her. Aw, Trevor's in love. Anyway, go ahead, Tom. <laughs> you can talk about the next one. All right, so yeah, that's that's pretty much it. She's a really good. She's probably the best shade in a long time. Um, I think that... We should definitely talk about Pestilence Demon. Go for it. This is this is an EDH card all around. Pestilence Demon has a goat head, by the way. Um, it's a creature demon. It's a rare. It costs five and three black, so it costs eight CMC. Flying seven six for a black Pestilence Demon deals one damage each creature and each player. So it's Pestilence on a demon. I don't think it needed to cost eight, but it's good. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely great in EDH where Pestilence can be king. The next card that I'm going to mention is a sorcery, and it's black, and it's a rare, and it costs five and two black, and it says it's called Support Revenge. Total life of each player becomes the lowest total life among all players. I just realized this is really, really incredible if you're at zero and you have Platinum Angel out. (gasps) 
combo. I'm gonna yeah, that's what that's that's the new EDH deck I'm going to build, or deck that I'm gonna build in general. I'm gonna play Platinum, play Ad Nauseum, reveal my deck, and then play Support Revenge. <laughs> and just go, guess who just won the game? Well, not your whole entire deck, because then you'd die from... Would you or, die from milling? No, because no, you have Platinum? Ad Nauseum doesn't put them in... Well, yeah, you have Platinum, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so never mind. Yeah, just get your whole entire deck, make your life, like, negative 15, then just play Support Revenge for 7 and be like, ha-ha, guess who just won? Yeah. And this guy. The only way around this awesome combo is if you also play Abyssal Persecutor... <laughs> So Abyssal Persecutor and both Platinum Angel are out. Who wins? Everyone and no one. Okay, you know what? That's like a Schrodinger's cat scenario. If Abyssal <laughs> Persecutor and Platinum Angel are in a box and the box is closed and there's poison in the box and the poison hasn't... Are they dead or... Are you dead or alive? Anyways, let's get to... Uh, let's finally get to Red. No, no, no. And, suffer uh, from the past. What? Suffer from the past. Or suffer the past. Oh, oh, right. Sorry, suffer the past. So I don't know if we've talked about this yet, but graveyard removal is good in EDH. Uh, it's definitely instrumental to get rid of stuff in EDH. So suffer the past. X in a black. It's an instant. It's an uncommon. Exile X target cards from target player's graveyard. For each card you exile this way, that player loses one life and you gain one life. This will end standoffs and limited a lot. This will uh. Probably might see play in EDH. Uh, Withered Wretch is a little bit better. Is a little bit better, um, but I like it. I'm a fan. It's an, it's instant speed. Thank gosh. This is probably a change from sorcery to instant speed, just because it wasn't that great as a sorcery. So I like it. I'm gonna talk about the next card, and it is red. Cool. What is it? Devastating summons. Yes. It's. One, this doesn't seem realistic, but it's one red mana for a sorcery that's a rare. As an additional cost to play Devastating Summons, sacrifice X lands. Which, is another way to read that is, as an additional cost to play Devastating Summons, make your Knight of the Reliquary X times better. Huh. Put two XX red elemental creature tokens onto the battlefield. Swing with the Reliquary and win. Those tokens no, need No, I hate. really like this card. Uh, I really like this card for mono red. I mean, sometimes you just get to the point where you're just like, I would really like two six six red elemental creature tokens for red right now. I think I could do that. Do you think this could be played in um, Brozek Boros and extended with flagstones of Trokire? They don't have haste. It, no, you you don't play them to attack with them. You you uh like you have a flagstones out and you just sack your lands and give your like, you play a fetch land, crack it. So you've had two landfall triggers, then you play Devastating Summons, sack your uh, flagstones, you've had three landfall triggers, then you swing with um, play the GOP and Steplings. Or and you can just play Shard Volley, which they do. Oh, that works too, Which I guess. is awesome. Yeah. Alright, so the next card we're going to talk about is Disaster Radius. It has a really cool name. Not that great art. So it's for five red red. It's a rare sorcery. As additional cost to cast Disaster Radius, reveal a creature card from your hand. Disaster Radius deals X damage to each creature your opponent controls, where X is the real revealed card's converted mana cost. What do you? I read that. How did I misread that? What are you talking about? Opponents is plural. Oh. You said opponent controls. It's opponents control, which means it affects everyone except you. That's awesome. Yeah, which means it's really good for EDH. I mean, that is if you have a huge-ass creature in your hand. I mean, 
So if you're if you're playing a deck that has Eldrazi in it that's red, then yes, this Dacia Radius is awesome because you get to go all your shit gets dealt 15 damage, and you slap that on the table. Even if you're not personally though, go ahead. For my taste, I'd rather have Insurrection, but that's just me. Well, of course, but you can play this and Insurrection, so there. That wins. <laughs> the next card that I'm going to talk about is Flame Slash, and that's a one mana common. Yeah, common sorcery. Flame Slash deals four damage to target creature. There's no way this card's real. I, I can't believe it. It's apparently common. It can't be real. If it was uncommon, I was going to go along with it. Like, I was going to be like, sure, maybe we'll look weird when it's not real. But no, there is freaking no way this card is real. All right. That's not possible. Yeah, that, that, would, that would warp standard if that was real. I mean, sure, it's a sorcery. But, dude, it deals four damage for one red mana. What the hell? <laughs> okay, so whatever. We'll talk about the strictly worse shock. Do you think that's necessary? Eh, it, no, it's a we're not. It's a strictly different shock. All right, so it's called Forked Bolt. And again, it's for one red. Anyway. Yeah, it's for one red. It's a sorcery. It's an uncommon. Forked Bolt deals two damage divided as you choose among one or two target creatures and our players. And has a really cool flavor text of play no favorites, everybody dies. That's kind of cute. Uh... Limited only, but barely only limited. Uh, this might be able to catch levelers off guard, but seriously, there hasn't been much stuff with one toughness besides Eldrazi spawn. So I don't, I don't understand how this is uncommon if Flame Slash is common. Whatever, we're we're gonna say don't believe in Flame Slash, but if it's true, high five. Yeah, if it's true, mind equals blown. I think is what it boils down to. So the next card is in German. Gebaren der Brut. So it's a sorcery common for one in a red. It says if you control at least one zero one Eldrazi spawn token, put three zero one colorless Eldrazi spawn tokens into play. They have sacrifice this creature, add one to your mana pool. That's really good. You know what it's really good with? <laughs> if you say doubling season again, I'm going to slap you. Uh. Nothing. Okay, so it's really good with doubling season, but still. Yeah. Like, this card is going to be... If you're planning on getting your Eldrazi out with Eldrazi spawn, this card's going to be necessary. To be able to put an extra three out out of nowhere is really good. I agree. Really good. Yep. All right. The next card, uh, I'll let you talk about Carbon Dragon, because I want to talk about Mass Token. Okay, well... Yeah, it's fine. Go ahead, Trevor. Yeah, you can talk, talk about, about Cargan Dragon. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, yeah, that means I'd have to go now. Right. Cargan Dragon Lord. He costs a red and a red. He's a mythic rare human warrior that rides on top of an awesome-looking dragon with a spear, and he's a mythic rare. I really like this art. Anyway, so he's a 2-2 with a level up of a red. Levels 4 through 7, he's a flying 4-4. Four four. Hmm. Level 8 plus, he's a flying, trampling, 8-8 eight, eight with fire breathing. Eh. I I don't know, man. I don't see why there's much hype behind this guy. I, wanna I don't like see him. why specific. Like, I want to like him so much, but I feel like if his levels were both dropped by one, he'd be so much better. Oh, he'd be ridiculous if they were dropped both by one. Because then it'd be turn 3, flying 4-4, four, four, turn 4, flying, trampling, 8-8 eight, eight with fire breathing. Yeah. I guess I'm wrong. So that's why that's not allowed. <laughs> Just putting that out there. But uh, 
I don't know. This guy isn't like Transcendent Master and isn't like Student of Warfare. Student of Warfare, you want to pump it in every single turn. Transcendent Master, just when you can. I think this guy is going to be kind of a priority, but you're probably going to only pump in two mana on turn three and leave like bolt mana open instead. So, hmm. I think he's good. I think I want to play Transcendent Master with him because Transcendent Master should be played with every single leveler ever. Ever, ever. By the way, Trevor, uh, after you talk about Mass Token, I'm talking about Mog Infestation. By so, the way, you were, saying, you were saying Transcendent Master that whole time. You meant Venerated Teacher. Oh, really? Yeah. Transcendent Master sure. is the lifelink cleric guy. Venerated right. Teacher is the, tre- the, the level up counters dude. They're both awesome. Yeah, So play them all in an America deck. Woohoo, America! Alright. America! Yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Mass Token. It's a five and a red. It's a sorcery. Its real name is probably not Mass Token. Sacrifice probably all not. creatures you control. Then put that many four, four, red, something, creature tokens into play. They probably are Hellions, by the way, because we were spoiled the four, four, red Hellions. Oh, yeah. So it makes sense. Okay. Well, that's true. I think this card is interesting. Maybe not good, but cool. You know what? You know I what? actually think. It's really good after Insurrection. Well, if you have an extra six mana laying around after Insurrection, call me. <laughs> oh, I will. We'll ask. I will call you. Okay. No, no, but, no, yeah, this card is actually really good. It's good in Goblin EDH. Uh, you have a bunch of 1-1s, one and you just sort of want to kill them, make them 4 forward, getting a little, up, little bit of an upgrade. Definitely good. Um, but when you talk about this card, I think you have to actually talk about Mog Infestation. Uh, this is... This is a card we would probably be talking about next podcast, but we can talk about it now for fun. Mog Infestation is for three red red. It's a sorcery. Destroy all creatures target player controls. For each creature put into a graveyard that way, put two 1-1 one, one red goblin creature tokens onto the battlefield under that player's control. So for five mana, you double up all your creatures or you get rid of a bunch of stuff on your opponent's side of the field. I think when you talk about Mass Token, you have to talk about this card. They both basically do the same thing, except Mass Token is just your creatures, but it's debatable. You forgot to mention that Mog Infestation is from Stronghold. And it's a rare. Yeah. You, you, I was looking through the spoiler for a card called Mog Infestation. I was very confused. Oh, no, 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 no. It's from Stronghold. It's for EDH. Yeah, got it. It costs three red red. Not like my next favorite finisher from Mono Red, Magmaw. Magmar. So... Magmar not only has an awesome name Magmar. and has ridiculous looking art, but it's for three and a red red. It's a rare elemental. Uh, it's a four four with the ability of one. Sacrifice a non land permanent. Magma deals one damage to target creature or player. I like this card a lot. Magmar. I think it's going to it's going to end a lot of games just by being on the field. A lot of people like need a really big red finisher in their decks and. I think this could definitely be that card, uh, sacrificing your permanence. Like, let's say you unearth Hellspark Elemental, you attack with these guys for seven. Before you sack Hellspark Elemental, you pay one and ping your opponent. Like, or before he dies, you pay one and ping your opponent. Like, I really like this card. Um, is it gonna redefine standard or anything like that? Hell no. I'm not saying it's great. I just say I like it. <laughs> Next card I'm gonna talk about is. Um, what do we want to talk about? Let's, oh. Rapacious one? Uh, you can talk about Rapacious one. I kind of want to talk about Tuck Tuck. Yeah, sure, Tuck Tuck's kind of fun, I, except for how it works with EDH, which is kind of annoying. Yeah, I totally, totally misread this card, because I, I guess I woke up in the middle of the night and checked my phone with a spoiler, 
And um, <sighs> when I when I woke up, I thought this card cost one red mana. What? what, what, what? <laughs> yeah, so I thought this was some kind of like a super awesome raging goblin. In case you don't know, it's a legendary creature goblin for two and a red. It's a 1-1 one, one with haste. When it's put into a graveyard from the battlefield, put a legendary 5-5 colorless goblin golem artifact creature token named Tuk Tuk the Returned onto the battlefield. Yeah. So, what's the main problem with this card, Trevor? Uh, if he's your general in EDH, then he doesn't ever go to the graveyard. He goes, well, you, you usually don't put him in the graveyard. You usually choose to, as a replacement effect, put him in the general zone, or command zone, sorry. Which means mm-hmm. he is not dying, which means his ability doesn't trigger, which means you don't get his token, which makes me sad face. Definitely does. He would have been good, Trevor. He would have been he good. He so hard to be good, but you just can't do it. So, yeah, he's not going to be him on a red EDA general. Uh, this next guy also won't be him on a EDA general just because he's an uncommon Eldrazi drone. Oh, hey, look, this is some guy you could cast. So... Rapacious one. He costs five and a red. He's an uncommon Eldrazi drone with trample. Whenever Rapacious one deals combat damage to a player, put that many colorless zero one Eldrazi spawn tokens onto the battlefield. They have sacrifice this creature. Add one to your mana pool. It's a five four. I think this card's really good. I think it's gonna be really good in the limited environment. I agree. You're not gonna we. You're not gonna be want. You're not gonna want to be attacked by this guy ever. No. He's ramp in red. Weird. Yep. Hey, hey, look. We're going to talk about that guy next time. So, why didn't you... Oh, we talked about Splinter Twin. That's why. Yeah. I lied. Next card I'm going to talk about can also not be your red EDH general because it's a green enchantment. Um, It's called Awakening Zone. <laughs> when you said we were bad at segues before, my God. Yeah. This card is a two and a green. It's an enchantment. It's a rare. At the beginning of your upkeep... Put a 0-1 colorless Eldrazi spawn creature token onto the battlefield. It has sack of this creature, add a colorless to your mana pool. Wow. This card yeah. is fantastical. It's really good with, um... What's that card that gives you double upkeeps? Followed, not followed footsteps. Hmm? There's, there's a card that gives you more than one upkeep. Oh, I, uh, Paradox Haze? Yeah, that's it. It's good with Paradox Haze. And it's also good with Doubling Season. But anyway... It's just, it's like free mana in the form of dudes that also can be skull clamped if you want to draw cards instead of making mana with them. I I love colorless Eldrazi drones. I love Eldrazi spawn tokens. They're my favorite ever. No, this is definitely going to be an important card um, in EDH, if anything. I mean, the ability then, because now on turn four, you're going to have five mana. On turn five, you're going to have seven. On turn... Six. If uh, this is obvious, if you're hitting your land drops and not doing anything else besides hitting your land drops, this is a great accelerant. Yeah. I really like this card, like a lot. As do I. It touches me on the on the in, uh, on the heart right here. I, I'm glad but, you changed that. I'm really glad you changed yeah, that. It was close, but guess who's next, Trevor? Gigantomancer. Gigantomancer. Yes. <laughs> All right. So he's cost seven and a green. For a rare human shaman that has the ability of one, target creature you control becomes a 7-7 seven, seven until end of turn. So wait, wait, wait. Knowing this, what should its power and toughness be? Like, like, like probably like a 3-3, three, three, right? You know, maybe a 4-4. Four, four. You are paying 8 for this guy. No, that's too smart, says Watsy. We're going to make him a 1-1. One, one. 
Now, I understand, don't get me wrong, that if this guy survives, he's going to be a 7-7 for the rest of the game. But the fact that he comes into play as a 1-1, really? Yeah. It, Come on it now. It essentially means you need 9 mana or 10 mana to play him. So you can play him, retain priority, make him a 7-7, and then during your opponent's mm-hmm. turn, do it again. So he doesn't immediately die to a burn spell. Yeah, but still... Awesomely fun card. I agree. Um, the next card I'm going to talk about is more ramp, because green needs more of it, and it is called Growth Spasm. It's a sorcery for two and a green. Search your library for basic land and put it into play tapped. Shuffle your library, and then put a 0-1 colorless Eldrazi creature into play. The, the Eldrazi spawn token thingy. I think it's really good. It's, like, double ramp, because it t- essentially gives you a colored and colorless mana, and I mm-hmm. like it a lot. No, I really think it's good. Again, great and limited. But I really do think this card could shine an EDH. Yeah. I really think it does have the potential to. Granted, not as good as Kadama's Reach. Never said it was. But I think the fact that it just gives you the L1 Eldrazi spawn immediately, it's kind of like getting two mana for your next turn. So, yeah. uh, I, I, think, I like it a lot. I think the next card you should talk about is definitely in German. Jody Lifestarter? What? Oh, Jardy Lifestyle. Oh, are you talking about... Okay, well, you're not talking about Glat Discos? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Right? No? Yeah. Okay, well, I actually want to talk about Jardy Lifestyle because I think it's a really cool card. Okay. So this is four and a green. It's a elemental creature. It's an uncommon. It's a 2-8, <laughs> which is really the only reason why I want to talk about him. When Jardy Lifestyle enters the battlefield, you may tap any number of untapped creatures you control. You gain two life for each creature. Tap this way. Simple, effective... Good and limited, probably not that great in EDH. Good and Doran. Not good stand. Good and Doran. Wow. This guy is awesome in Doran. But so is Indomitable Ancients, and people still don't play them. Nah. You remember Indomitable Ancients, right? It's the two the two ten for four or something. Two ten for two white white, it was from Morning Tide. Yeah. It's like, play me with Doran, I'm awesome. And everyone was like, eh. Yeah. Okay. Alright. <laughs> I'm gonna talk about hold so, on. sorry, Sally was throwing Reese's at me. I'm gonna talk about Gladder Squash. <laughs> no no no, it's Glot Gisclos. Okay. I oh, apologize wow, to any and everyone who's German and listening to us. I'm a terrible <laughs> I feel so awful right now. Anyway. Uh this card you know sorry, quick segue. Blitzschlag. Do you know what card that is? Um, I do not, although I do, but I don't for the podcast. Oh, okay. Well, shout out to Brian, okay, of what, Avon Kircher, Brian. It's a lightning bolt in German. Blitzschlag. That sounds so much cooler. Anyway, this card, it's, just, it's just seriously deal four. Yeah, yeah, the German one should deal four. This, this is awesome, because it's like Green's own lightning bolt against what Green is usually the worst against, and that's not counter spells. Mm-hmm. That is flying creatures. This is, it, yeah. It's three damage to a target creature with flying. Pretty simple, pretty awesome. I like it. Yep. Good and limited. In EDH, play Raking Canopy instead. Yeah. I was always a fan of Raking Canopy. Raking Canopy, for those of you that don't know, is for one green green enchantment whenever a creature with flying attacks you. Raking Canopy deals four damage to it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of good. In its own little way. So, I'm going to talk about, because I'm awesome. I don't know if Trevor's still here. You? So I was eating a Reese's. I don't know what you're going to talk about. Oh, so no, no, no. Oh, m- moment, momentous fall. 
It's uh. Don't make fun of the stutter I don't have. Right. Momentous Fall. It's for two green green. It's an instant. It's a rare. It should definitely be rare. As an additional cost to cast Momentous Fall, sack a creature. You draw cards equal to the sacrifice creature's power. Then you gain life equal to its toughness. This is a really good card. Um, uh, it's basically it's not it it's not better than Greater Good just because Greater Good's an enchantment and it sticks around the whole entire time. This is going to be good in EDH because people like to try and steal your stuff. So, like, in response to your control magic, I'm going to draw five cards and gain six life for four. Mm-hmm. This is green getting more card draw. It's cool. Gasp, be happy. Shock people. and appall. This actually segues like really that. good into what we're going to talk about tomorrow, which is off-color, color pie shenanigans. This is green yep. card draw. Right, next card I'm going to talk about is Moldia Channelers, which kind of has a lot of mixed reviews. A lot of people love it. A lot of people really hate it. It's one and two green for a two-two. Play with the top card of your library revealed, just like its um, other Moldia sister-in-law or whatever. There, I guess, because yep. there are two of them. As long as the top card of your library is a creature, uh, Moldia Channelers gets plus three plus three. As long as the top card of your library is a land, Moldia Channelers says tap add two mana of any one color to your mana pool. And if it's Dryad Arbor... Mm. Yeah, if it's Dryad Arbor, this card is bonkers. Even though it's really not, because <laughs> it just becomes a 5-5 five, five that's like a double land war elf. But... For three. True. I like this card. Uh, I kind of see it in a blue-green, low-scare quotal Jace deck. Because you can play Jace, Brainstorm, set up your top card. Same, you can use Hallmar Depths as well. And, attack for five. What? Then attack for five. Yeah. So I like it in that kind of deck, but I don't know if I don't know if this card will see play without blue. I doubt it. But Trevor, you know what else is coming out? You know what else? Naturalize. Yes. <laughs> and that's enough for that. So, Palaka Worm. This is a really cool uh seven mana beater. It's for four green, green, green. It's an uncommon worm with trample. Whenever Palaka Worm enters the battlefield, you gain seven life. And whenever Placa Worm is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, draw a card. Like Fecundity. Which is also a green card draw. Fecundity. I, why are we like just talking about the next... Okay, so it's also a 7-7. Seven, seven. Evan Irwin put it a little bit like the best. He said, remember in Morning Tide when we got a 7-7 seven, seven for 7? Dusk, and that's it? Yeah, Duskdale Worm. Duskdale Worm. And now we get a 7-7 seven, seven for 7 with Trample. When it enters the battlefield, you gain 7 life. And when it's put into a graveyard, you draw a card. Holy shit, that's a lot of, like, creature creep. Like, not even creep. That's like someone smacked creatures in the face and told them to get better. <laughs> okay. Um, you, for whatever reason, when you say that, I imagine, like, a locker room full of, like, a football team at halftime, kind of remember the Titans or Rudy style, and, and the, the coach is having his inspirational pep talk, smacking all the creatures in the face. <laughs> get better. Yeah, anyway. Stupid dust. Yeah, and then there's a Life draw card. Yeah, and there's a Bible quote somewhere because it has it just has to be. It's usually I don't remember. There's always it. Bible quotes. Anyway, Vengevine. Did we talk about Vengevine already? Yep. If we did, nope. we're gonna talk about him again because that's how awesome he is. No, we no, we definitely did because this guy was spoiled on Friday. Oh, okay. Well, Vengevine did not. Did not. Did not. You mean? So. Yeah, that's what I'm. All right, stop. Hammer time. Two and two green. Vengevine is a four three. It's an elemental with haste. It is mythical rare. Sorry, it's mythic rare. I get upset when people say mythical. 
Mythic Bear. Whenever you cast a spell, if it's the second creature spell you've cast this turn, you may return Vengevine from your graveyard to the battlefield. It knocks Yay. down... It, yeah, it knocks down Walls of Omen. <laughs> That's fine. It's, I'll take that trade any day. Yeah, it's a fantastic card. I love this card. I'm really, really glad it's not like a 3-3 with haste that costs one less mana. Because this card would be ridiculous with Bloodbraid Elf. But... Uh, yeah, it already is kind of ridiculous with Elf, because you play Vengevine, you kill something, maybe it gets killed in the same time. Then you play Bloodbraid Elf into, like, Future Leech or Sparring Thranax, and he comes back. Yeah. And then Luis Scott Vargas uh, was actually talking about this, and he's like, it brings up a lot of interesting situations, like Naya decks that, like, have, like, a lot of, uh, like, the ramping, like, for BOPs and stuff. <laughs> okay, I'm, it brings so, up- I'm so sorry, Tom. You just said, like, I'm guessing around five or six times. Okay. It was cute. Okay, so. LSU is talking about it, and he said, there's a lot of Naya decks that play both uh, Noble Hierarch and BOPs. And it actually, when you're playing with Vengevine, it gives the the extra decision of, if you have a hand with, like, BOP, Noble Hierarch, Vengevine, and, like, Bloodbraid Elf and three lands, do you just keep the other BOP so that on turn five you can possibly get back the Vengevine? Or do you play the other BOP on turn two so you can accelerate more? So it gives added uh, strategic depth. By the way, he's constructed playable and he's playable in EDH because he's awesome. He's so. this, guy's, this guy's playable in Yu-Gi-Oh. This guy's awesome. He's, he's not playable in Yu-Gi-Oh. The lowest card there has a toughness of 100. <laughs> All right. Uh, you want to talk about Wild Heart Invoker? Um... No. Okay. It reminds me of the on- <laughs> it, it reminds me of the cards from Onslaught that were like mediocre tribal cards that had obnoxiously high costed abilities. Oh yeah, like Flame Wave Invoker. Yeah. Wait, are we getting another cycle it's of these now? Cycle, yeah. yeah. Thanks. I'm glad you saw that connection. <laughs> so, sure. You know what? Why not? So, if we're gonna have to talk about him, he's Wild Heart Invoker. He costs two green green. He's an Elf Sham and he's a Gaman. He's a four three for. Oh, he's a 4-3-4. That's actually not that bad. For 8, target creature gets plus 5, plus 5, and gains trample until end of turn. Yeah, so there. That's that's him. That's him. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't, I'm not that much of a fan. Nor am I. So Next we time. have some artifacts. Yes, and they're cool, and I like them, and I like Hedron Matrix. And I like Dreamstone Hadron. Go ahead. Talk about Dreamstone Hadron. Or Mindstone, Mindstone, so, Mindstone. Right, so a lot of people have been calling this card three Mindstone stapled together, because exactly what it is. So Dreamstone Hedron, it costs six colorless. It's an artifact. It's uncommon. You tap it out of three to your mana pool. You can pay three to tap it to sacrifice Dreamstone Hedron and draw three cards. It's really good in EDH. <laughs> yeah. Like, this gives decks that usually don't have access to card draw access to card draw. Um, yay. It was funny because your yay cut out at the very end. So you're like, yay. It's cool. Um, I don't I don't remember who asked us, and I apologize, but someone did ask, I think I was on Twitter, I'm not positive, uh, if we think that Dreamstone Hadron is going to be a staple for EDH, and the answer is yes, 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 most certainly, definitely yes. Yes, up the bum, yes. Especially in a not-as-many-colors EDH deck, like... Yeah. Um... Or, or decks that usually don't have mana ramp, like decks like black decks and red decks are going to like this, because in red decks, when you hit six, 
you probably don't have lands left in hand because you're not playing green or something. So when you get to play Dreams on Hedron, it activates like you can draw cards or just next turn you can actually play Insurrection. So it's a good card. It's going to see play in a lot of decks. Be Don't like be afraid of this card, but just be aware that it's out there. When your opponent taps six for this thing, you should realize that something bad's happening next turn. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk about Hedron Matrix, which is a four-mana yes, equipment. Uh, equipped it's creature, a rare. It's a rare, and it costs four to equip as well, which is a grappling hook. Uh, equipped mm-hmm. creature gets plus X plus X, where X is its converted mana cost. And we get to equip these on Develop Drowsy, and we get to smile. You know who else this is good on? Uh, not tokens. Gigantomancer. <laughs> and, and Gigantomancer's brother from another mother, Scornful Egoist. Oh, wow. I love Scornful Egotist. That's like one of the funniest cards ever made. Yeah. So, um, here, let's, let's have some fun and remind people what Scornful, it's not, it's not Scornful Egotist. I'm just gonna type in Egotist, cause that didn't come up. It's, um, Oh, yeah, it is Scornful. I just thought Scornful wrong because I'm stupid. Okay, so Scornful Egotist has a converted mana cost of 8. It costs 7 and a blue. This thing's from Scourge. It's a 1-1. One, one. And it had Morph, so you can cast it face down as a 2-2 two, two creature for 3, and you morph it for a blue. So basically, the idea behind this guy was to play him in Russian Knowledge. Because you just draw 8 cards for 5. Yeah. But still, he's just so funny. Because I'm sure there have been, like, limited games that have gone to, like, turn 8, and someone has Scornful Egotist in hand and went, no, wait, and paid 8 for him and put him on the battlefield. The other person was like, you, sir, are awesome. He's even better as Morph because he's a 2-2 for 3. I know, that's the funniest part. <laughs> All right, next card, do you want to talk about Keening or Keening Stone? I'm probably saying that wrong. Apparently it's, like, um, uh, Kellen's new favorite card, but... Uh, Keening Stone, it costs 6. It's a rare artifact that has the ability of 5. Tap it. Target player puts the top X cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard, where X is the number of cards in that player's graveyard. So, supposedly you can go turn 5, traumatize, turn 6, Keening Stone, and just say, can you kill this because it's game? No, well, it's game the turn after. Still. (laughs) So... I'm not a fan of this card. I don't like it. I think it could have been costed that less. Because it requires other... It, it really requires other cards to work. Like, in a regular game where you're not playing mill cards, and you just have Keening Stone in your deck, right? Let's say you do get it down on turn six. More than likely, your opponent has, what, four cards in their, in like, their graveyard? It depends. So you're going to pay five to mill four, then five to mill eight, then five to mill sixteen, then like that, but still... Yeah, I, I, I don't like it. Yeah. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth. But that might just be the Reese's that I eat. Hey. Reese's. Hey. Don't hit on Reese's. I wasn't. Anyways. Kid. I love them. So we actually have two cards that remind me of Time Thief combo. Yes. Prophetic Prism and Rune Servitor. So I'll take the... Oh, they're both kind of good. I'll take uh, the Alright, Prism. So Prophetic Prism. It's it costs two colorless mana. It's an artifact, it's common. When Prophetic Prism enters a battlefield, draw a card. And you can pay one and tap it, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Yes, and so, uh Rune Servitor is two for a uh, two colorless for a two two. 
When Rune Super enters the battlefield, each player draws a card. Yep. So basically what uh, the old school Time Sieve uh, Open the Vaults deck did was you would play a bunch of these like uh, cantripping artifacts and you'd play Time Sieve and Open the Vaults. So you'd draw cards off your cantripping artifacts and you'd play Time Sieve. You'd sack it, take an extra turn, play Open the Vaults, bring them all back, then sack Time Sieve, take an extra turn. You'd have drawn a shite load of cards and you basically just end up winning off a card advantage alone. So yeah. And then eventually you win off of uh, Tezzeret, right? Yeah. You make them all creatures and swing and they lose. So yeah, it all works out for the better. Indubitably. Yeah, so yeah, I'm a big fan of these. As am I. And then, um, holy shitballs, Trevor, guess what? What? We're kind of done with the first half, but not yet. I want to ask you a few questions about what you think about Rise of the Eldrazi so far. Is that all right? All right, so first off, a question we've been getting a lot is, is this the best EDH set so far? Yeah, I would probably say yes and no. Like, that, that's, that's so not an answer, I'm being evasive. Um, I honestly think it's kind of a little bit overrated for EDH. Gasp, I'm a horrible person, I know. But I think one of the best things that I liked about EDH was deck construction, and this takes that aspect of deck construction nearly out of the picture. Because all of the awesomest cards, the Eldrazi, are available for any and every EDH deck. Actually, I'd have to disagree. Um, the thing, uh, although I have to completely agree with deck construction being one of the most fun parts of the game in EDH. If people who love deck construction are going to love EDH, you have so much fun. But um, I think people are, are actually going to be fooled by this. And really good EDH, EDH players are just gonna be able to take advantage of them. Yeah. Uh, these huge, these huge monsters that you get, that, like people who might just start EDH or might later start EDH, um, like Emrakul and Kozilek and all these guys. If your opponent has bribery, yep. you're not gonna be doing well. Um, a lot of people have been saying that. Also, if you get stuck with Emrakul and Kozilek in your hand in EDH, it sucks just as much as if you're in standard. Yeah. Like these are cards you're gonna be seeing a lot later. I mean, stuff like Artisan and a Kozilek are probably going to see more play than Emrakul. That thing costs 9, reanimates, and it's a 10-9 with Annihilator 2. I think that sees more play than stuff like even Kozilek. Like, don't get me wrong, they're great cards. But I don't think they're so amazing that they're necessary includes. But regardless of that, there are still amazing cards in this set that are just downright great for EDH. Just the first card, number one in the set, all is dust, yeah. is great for EDH. Each player sacrifices all colored permanents he or she controls. That's amazing in EDH. Uh, you're going to see that played so much, it's not even funny. You're going to get actually kind of annoyed by it after a while. I mean, this set brings a lot to EDH, but skill-intensive-wise, like, there's going to be a lot of cards in here that, like, like we mentioned before, there's a perfect card for um, Dorn in this set. But I didn't realize it at first. You just had to sort of mention to me, dude, he's a 2-8 in Dorn. That guy's an 8-8 eight, eight for 5. Yeah. So, so like, that's my opinion. I think that that's a good point to bring up. This card, this card, this set seems so inundated with EDH, like obvious EDH stuff in the form of the colorless cards that some of the non-colorless cards aren't shining as well as they could be. Don't forget, mm -hmm. if you're building a green deck, that Momentous Fall exists and is absolutely fantastic in every way. Or even, like, Momentous Fall might be a bad example, because it's a really obviously good card. Like, take a look at uh, Awakening Zone. That's a that's an amazing enchantment. 
It's it's really yeah. good. It ramps you, and I have a feeling, like you said, good deck constructors will take advantage of the flashiness of EDH to find the underplayed EDH staples. Mm-hmm. Bear Umbra? Like, sure. Like, yeah, Bear Umbra. It's going to be good. But sure, like, you're going to find people who are playing your Sophies, your Sensei's Dividing Tops, your Sylvan Libraries, and they definitely should. Those cards are great. They're great in EDH. They're almost great in every single constructed format. But the my favorite part, and I guess yours also, is just to make EDH decks that feel casual, that like have an underlying theme, that just have basically like have fun with themselves. And I think this okay, that's not horrible. Screw you, but like there's a lot of really good cards in here that people are just gonna be looking at Kozilek and not looking at stuff like Kazandu Tuskcaller. Yeah. It's one in a green. I mean that card is good in EDH. No one's gonna kill a one one and he's just gonna stop popping out three three elephants. Like <laughs> you've gotta okay God damn it. You've got to realize that for EDH, and especially for this set alone, look at it more than once. Look at it twice, three times. There's going to be decks that stuff go in that you're not even going to think of immediately. Like Gelatinous Genesis goes in your, um, what's that stupid giant's name? Maureen the Wanderer. Her deck. Yeah, Maureen the Wanderer. Yeah, it goes in the Maureen the Wanderer deck, because you get to pump four into it immediately, so then you're paying five for four, four, four green news tokens. Plus, you're going to have doubling season out. Mm-hmm. Always but have doubling no. season out. <laughs> Always have doubling season out for every situation ever. Except if you're distributing negative one, negative one counters. Yeah, that'd be bad. Then it sucks. But no, like, I think this set is definitely bringing a lot to EDH. But what do you think is bringing to each color? Which color do you think is definitely getting hosed in this set? Um, in terms of EDH so or far. in terms of in general? In terms of, uh, I think in standard is the easiest one to go with first, or probably just in standard first. Yeah. I think it's kind of obvious, in actually. In standard, I think blue is. Mm-hmm. We're really used to blue getting really good counter spells, or just decent counter spells. No, we're, and we're not used to it. We keep wanting it, and it doesn't happen. Yeah. So blue is not getting anything amazing. But in EDH-wise, is. blue is getting a lot of really great things. You're getting Enclave. No, you're getting Echo Mage, Cast Through Time. Lighthouse Chronologist is going to be one of the best blue EDH cards in a while. Yeah. Like, I, I was about to say ever. No. I'm not going to say ever, because that's going a bit far, because Factor Fiction is just a little bit too good. But, like Lighthouse said, Chronologist. Uh, Sphinx of Magosi, Cirque, or Spellbraid. Uh, there's a lot of good EDH cards for blue. And mm-hmm. for every color, for that matter. Yeah, I think, actually, the only color that's not getting that much EDH is actually red. Uh, red seems to be lacking in EDH, to be honest. Like, Mass Token is good. Don't get me wrong. Splinter Twin, maybe. But... Their legendary creature doesn't work. Uh, you can't use an EDH. Uh, in standard, you're not really going to be seeing much. Flame Slash is going to be good in EDH in standard, but that's if it's real. Yeah. Like, there's there's no way that card's real. Uh, Disaster Radius is a little bit too overcosted for EDH, and Conquering Manticore I, is a 5-5 five, five flying. I think Disaster uh. Radius will see play in EDH. Really? Yeah. Eh. I do. I, I would have to disagree, but still... Um, Magmar. I don't know. I think Magmar will. Magmar? That's what I, I've been Mag- calling him that since we started talking about him. Well, Magmar is cool, and uh, I, I think he might see play, but whatever. We're, I, in my opinion, red is definitely not getting the most in EDH wise, but it's getting some good stuff in standard. Blue is getting the most hose in standard, just because it's still hasn't found its pieces yet. Like there's still what another 80 cards to go. So sure. There could be an awesome counterspell in the next 80 cards, and 
No, not even 80, is it? No, it is 80. But in the next 80 cards, and then we're all completely wrong. But um, if that doesn't happen, we're completely right. That was, that was, <laughs> if the coin does land on heads, then we're wrong. If it doesn't, then we're right. So there. I mean, there is a rumor. Uh, this is a strict rumor, like more rumor than rumor mill rumor. Of uh, basically like a counter spell actually being uh, printed, it costs a blue and a blue, and I forget what the it's got a really odd name, but it's a it says a counter target spell and return a land you control to hand. It's called deprive supposedly. Oh yeah, deprive right? Yeah. Deprive. Yeah, deprive. And people have been talking about it and speculating about it, and I think Chapin literally came out and said I'd rather play cancel. Yeah, like honestly. Who is it depriving, you or your opponent? I'm pretty sure that uh, um, Joey from YoMTGTap said the same thing. It's good with Helmar dips, yes, but in a control deck, it sets you back a turn, and if you're taking a comes in to play tap land back to your hand, it sets you back another turn. Not good. Yeah, it's good late game, sure. But, but cancel is good early late game. game. Yeah, cancel is good late game. So, for once, holy shit, Trevor, we're defending cancel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, seriously defending cancel, not not fake not defending cancel, quote, but seriously defending cancel. Yeah, but I don't know, man. I think so far, Rise of although splashy, although it seems like the best thing ever for EDH, will probably be the best thing ever for EDH. <laughs> I think it. I, I think it could be the best set for EDH. I definitely think it can be. There's so many just tools from this set so far. Without the next 80 cards. Yeah. For EDH. I'm just wondering. So, I'm just wondering what the next 80 cards will bring, and if they do bring any EDH goodies with them. It's any more. That's what I mean. Like, I kind of feel overwhelmed by EDHness. So if I get any more cards that aren't like limited fodder, I'm gonna just get confused and overwhelmed. <laughs> we're we're gonna start making hundred card singleton decks in standard again. We, well, that's already my plan, dude. This, okay, never mind. This set would be awesome for that. Although, once Alara rotates, it's going to be really hard to do that, because one of the keys to building that deck, the 100-card singleton deck, was the basic... Mana fixing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that works, too. They were good. Yeah, cycling is really important for 100-card singleton. We're so and, off topic. Yeah, I was like, and so now that we're off topic... Alrighty, well, um, like you said, this is going to be a marathon cast. It's going to be quite Absolutely. long. We're going to cut it up into two parts and put this part up and next part up um, together, and then we'll put it up separately, in case you don't want to listen to the whole thing all the way through. But we're going to take a little break here. We'll probably play some little, like, um, intermission music if we can find it and aren't too lazy to put it in. And then we'll uh, pick it up again. I am going to get dinner because I am a hungry, hungry hippo. That sounds good, Trevor. I believe you are a hungry, hungry hippo. Oh, I love hippos. My favorite animal. And they are Julia's yes. favorite animal. Yes. So, for MTG Radio and for the first part, this has been Tom. And Trevor.
Alrighty guys, and welcome back to episode 32 of MTG Radio. This is Trevor. And this is Tom. And our sound quality was supposed to be better than it normally is for this chunk of the podcast, but in all reality, um, it's not... It should be like the same. Yeah, it's probably just going to be what it was. I, I hate college internet. It's, I, I understand, Trevor. It's composed entirely of awful. It's pretty terrible. <laughs> All right, so we actually have a uh, a special little segment beyond the what 100 ish spoilers from uh, part A. This is going to be uh, oh, PS. mostly, if not specifically, tailored directly towards EDH. Yes, and PS. After we talk about this EDH fantastic awesomeness, um, which will be for a majority of the time, there are more spoilers, so I'll mention those at the end. Yay! As well as some other stuff, just some emails we got, and oh, the contest. That. Oh. Yes. You forgot too? I did not forget. I remembered. What are you talking about? It's okay, Trevor. You're playing it off pretty well. I'm made of awesome. Anyway, no, we'll talk about the contest too and the contest winners. We did not forget. We remembered. We remembered yesterday. But then we both got really busy and college internet sucks. So we can't hear each other when we go on any voice recording software. That's all completely true. So uh, we were sad. We wanted to use TeamSpeak. That's actually what a uh, uh, Monday Night Magic uses. It sounds great, but um, yeah, it blew. It, yeah, it so instead, like yeah. So instead, we're using our Skype with call burner mashup thing. That's kind of like I feel like I'm a poor guy stealing cable, but oh, it's okay. So it's like it's so, like if I had kids and well, okay, see. If if TV still used bunny ears, but you can't even do that anymore, so never mind. I, That's using, right. They I, they've eliminated one of the ways to be a cheap bastard. Yeah, I'm using outdated television references, but I was gonna try for a really terrible transition, but I'm giving up. We're gonna talk about EDH now, and yes, Trevor was digressing. Yes, but I digress. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> how we did this was um, <clears throat> our our idea for uh this podcast came about what like episode 27 it was uh certain colors in edh in a mono color edh though like mono white or mono black or mono red or mono green or mono blue um seem to be lacking certain things like uh red lacks enchantment removal or uh black might lack mana fixing or just stuff like that so um we uh we decided to split the colors evenly three and two and um <laughs> I'm joking, but uh, so I took red, white, and black, and Trevor took green and blue. But uh, we'll definitely comment on both of each other's uh things. Um, one of the main thing we did though is that um, I know from building a mono color deck, sometimes it's hard to find finishers for your deck. Um, so at the end of every single color, we're gonna include a bunch of awesome finishers that kick ass, cause they're awesome, and they kick ass. <laughs> Did I mention they were awesome and they kick ass, Trevor? Yes, you did. Only about three times. Just checking, it by makes the me way. want to see that movie. I do want to see Kick-Ass, too. I really do. It looks awesome. 
It seems like one of the rare good Nicolas Cage movies. Speaking of Nicolas Cage movies, because I get to, because I want to, you should see The Weatherman, because I liked it, and I thought it was good, and no one else will. Alright. Anyway, I was the one I was digressing. Um, Tom, do you want to start with one of your colors first? Sure. Um, Why don't we start with... Not my favorite color, but my favorite color to play. All right, hang and on one that sec. Would be... you, you, you hanging? Hanging in there? Yes. Awesome job. Uh, I do want to mention that this idea was definitely inspired by... Tom was saying we got it from one of our other episodes. It was actually the comments of episode 27. A user by the name of The Count uh, gave us this idea. He was having, a, having some trouble with his uh, Black Red deck and... I just wanted to thank him, give him a shout out, because it definitely is worth it. And this whole section of the podcast is directly inspired by his advice or his suggestion. So I do want to give credit where credit is due. We send you a hug. No, we don't. We don't. I don't. We don't send him a hug. Uh-oh. Okay, just checking. Yeah, no. All right. So um, red is usually a a rather. Actually, like a maligned color of choice for a monocolored EDH deck. You don't really see a lot of mono red EDH decks. And usually it's because, um, a lot of their spells are usually thought of as like flashes in the pans. Like, they, when people think of red and they think of EDH, usually they just think of, oh, so I'm just gonna be playing Flame Wave and stuff like that. And they're not really interested. They wanna like go green and play a bunch of big, huge fatties. They wanna go white and have a bunch of control or same with blue. So, um, one of the main problems uh, with red is that actually enchantment removal. Um, this is a really hard barrier to get across, and uh, I found there's really only about two ways in mono red to deal with enchantment removal, and one of them is actually aura barbs. Now, this is a uh, a card from Betrayers. It's an uncommon, and it's an instant for two and a red. And you're not removing them, but you're definitely painting people with it. It says, each enchantment deals two damage to its controller. Then, each aura attached to a creature deals two damage to the creature it's attached to. Um, it's probably red's only way for punishing people with enchantments. Uh, this is what I've looked for, and besides the next card I'm going to talk about, this is about it, mono red players. Uh, when someone lays an enchantment, you're kind of screwed in your colors. So the next one is actually um, a sort of odd way to get around it, and it's Confusion in the Ranks. Uh, Confusion of the Ranks costs three red-red, and it's an enchantment. Whenever an artifact, creature, or enchantment enters the battlefield, its controller chooses target permanent, another player controls that shares a card type with it, exchange control of those permanents. So the idea behind this is... If you're annoyed by an enchantment your opponent plays, like if you're playing against a Xur the Enchanter deck, and you're damn well annoyed by it, you play Confusion in the Ranks, and then you play a stupid red enchantment and switch. So um, that's pretty much it for uh, colored enchantment removal. Um, but um, one some of the... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Tom. Oh, I was just going to get to the artifact enchantment removal, but you can go. I just want to make one comment about Confusion in the Ranks. Um, that works as long as it's not auras, because, like, you you use Xur as an example. If their general is there and they're doing aura shenanigans, and they have an aura on Xur, and you play an enchantment and switch control of your enchantment with their aura, their aura is still on Xur, so nothing happens. Like, they get your well, thing, that... but you don't get theirs. And that's why red kills Xur. Yeah, you just... By the way. No, bad. Like, if it's, like, a mana reflection that's troubling you, you can switch those. If it's a black player's grave pact, you can take that too. 
But if it's an aura on a dude, and you play an enchantment and try to switch those, it doesn't work out like you want it to. Just no matter it. how much you may want it to. Yeah, and you probably will want it to. But go ahead. And that's why we play aura barbs. Yes. Anyways, so um, so that's, that's pretty much all for Red for Enchantment Removal. That's what I found. If you found something better, please let me know. Um, that'd be great. But um, besides colored enchantment removal, now we're going to get into artifacts, and artifacts are going to be a really, really important part of actually filling out a lot of these colors. Artifacts are great. They're tools for every single deck. And um, one of the first artifacts I have to talk about is Nevin Rawls Disc. And now... Um, Sorry, I'm just going to... Nope. No, you, you you continue. All right, yeah. I'm just going to say, um, we're going to probably be talking about disc an awful lot because it kind of... It covers it's a awesome. lot of problems. Like, it, it's a Wrath Effect. Uh, do you have the card up, right, Tom? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, I'll let Tom read the card in just a sec, but, like, blue and green don't have very many Wrath Effects. So, this is kind of a really, really great utility card, along with a card from Rise that we'll mention, along with Artifacts. Um, so just be aware, you're probably going to hear us talking about disc a lot, um, so pick up a disc, at least a disc, it's really worth it. Definitely, so you can get it for about $4, as long as you're not going for, like, the limited edition alpha or beta version, which is $124, um, so, like, the fifth edition one is worth, uh, five bucks, but Nevin Ural's disc, uh, it costs four, um, for it comes into play tapped, and for one in a tap, you destroy all artifacts, creatures, and enchantments. So it's great. Sounds it does good. what it's meant to do. A lot of people call it the reset button because it resets everything, and it looks like there's a big button on a guy's hand with tentacles coming out, raping oh, things. Oh, tentacles. <sighs> um, the next card I'll mention, if you don't mind, I'm going to... Steal a little bit of your spotlight. It's not necessarily an artifact, but it is colorless. And it's another card that, along with disc, will be mentioned a lot in this segment. Because of its colorlessness. Not a word. Um, and that's going to be All is Dust. All is Dust, 7 mana, Tribal Sorcery, Eldrazi. It's colorless. Each player sacrifices all colored permanents he or she controls. This is a fantastic way for red and green or blue and white and black to deal with any of their problem permanents. So, mm -hmm. keep keep in mind, now that Eldrazi is coming out, you're going to have colorless means of destroying permanents that aren't artifacts. That's completely true. And then, the last one we're going to talk about, which will also remove enchantments, um, is O-Stone. Uh, it's nicely called O-Stone. Um, and... What I would like to tell you is what it does. O-Stone costs three mana, three colorless. It's an artifact from Mirrodin, actually. Um, for four, you can tap it to put a fake counter on target permanent. For five, you can tap it to sacrifice O-Stone. Destroy each non-land permanent without a fake counter on it, then remove all fake counters from all permanents. So you get to save stuff you want, uh, which is really important. A lot of people go like... Uh, once Ozone hits play, like, if it's, like, around 7 mana time, they play Ozone, they put a fake counter on, like, a really important card of theirs, and the next turn they blow up everything. Uh, you'll, you've probably already seen this if you play, if you play DDH against, like, either opposing players that have it, or you might have it. It's a great, great, great card, and it's good in mono-red to get rid of enchantments. Indeed it is. I completely agree with that one. And again, it's Ozone, it's an artifact, so it's going to be one of those cards that 
every color can use to deal with its problem uh, problem areas. Mm-hmm. Um, was enchantments right. really the only thing you the only problem you saw for red, or was there anything else? There was another, and it was actually card draw. Yep. Uh, card drawing for red is kind of a problem. Um, you don't really like find much card draw that isn't of a certain type. Now, most, if not all, of red's card draw falls along a simple line. You either discard your whole entire hand and draw that many cards. Uh, that's the classic Wheel of Fortune. Uh, you discard your hand and you draw seven cards. But um, there's other card draw in red. Uh, one of my favorite cards is actually Fiery Gambit. Um, this is a card that's also from Mirrodin. It costs two and a red. This is always been a junk rare, probably always will be, and I actually don't ever suggest people to play this card, but um, <laughs> it's Fiery Gambit, it costs two and a red. So flip a coin until you lose a flip or choose to stop flipping. If you lose a flip, Fiery Gambit has no effect. If you win one or more flips, Fiery Gambit deals three damage to target creature. Cool. If you win two or more flips, Fiery Gambit deals six damage to each opponent. If you win three or more flips, Draw nine cards and untap all lands you control. Okay, so I've gotten this off once. I killed a dude, everybody took six, I drew nine cards and I untapped all lands I controlled. I won that game. <laughs> um, this is a... Uh, I love this card just for the flavor of red, the idea of you're taking like the biggest chance you can on something like Fiery Gambit and... Awesome. If it doesn't... You really only spent three mana for something that didn't do anything. And in case you just need the damage, you can only flip once and you deal three damage. Or you can go again and just deal six damage to everybody and laugh a lot. So it's a fun card. Um, what do you think about Fiery Gambit, Trevor? You've seen me play this before. Yes, I think it is... It's hilarious at best. Um, like you said, I wouldn't recommend necessarily playing it unless you have Clark, Clark's Thumb, just so you can flip more. Yes. Or unless you seriously just want to have fun with it, it's not it's not a reliable way to draw cards, and that's kind of red issue. Um, oh yeah. As a matter of fact, Tom doesn't even play it because it's sitting at my dorm on my desk. I like I'm looking at it right now, and that's you, you have my fire. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, another card that I want to mention for red card draw that isn't random red card draw. Well, I mean it's not red either, but. It's another one of our lovely Eldrazi cards, and that's going to be Kozilek, Butcher of Truth. The 10 mana, 12-12, when you cast him, draw four cards. So That seems fun. I mean, it works for any color, but if you need card draw, there's Kozilek. A lot of people have uh, been saying, have been saying, oh, you should play Sneak Attack and Eldrazi. Apparently, Sneak Attack is crazy risen in price. Uh, sneak attack is for three and a red. It's an enchantment for red. You may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. That creature gains haste. Sacrifice the creature at the beginning of the next end step. So the idea is you like sneak attack him, Emrakul, the Aeon's Torn. Granted, you don't get to take another turn, but your opponent takes 14 to the face and sacrifices six permanents. And I think you're fine with spending your red mana for that. Generally speaking. Just, just checking. So, um, another form of red card draw actually comes in the form of a planeswalker. And this is Chandra Blaze. She costs four and a red, red. She was a mythic rare from Zendikar. I wonder how much she's even going for. She's kind of a cruddy planeswalker. She is going for three bucks. Three dollars for a planeswalker. Awesome. So, um, her plus one ability is discard a card. If a red card is discarded this way, Chandra Blaze deals four damage to our creature player. 
Her negative two ability is each player discards his or her hand, then draws three cards. Um, this is probably the ability that you'll be using if you're looking for card draw. Um, she's great when you don't have a hand. And it really, like, disrupts blue players who, like, love to have a constant grip of, like, seven cards. So you make everyone discard their hand and you draw three cards. Um, it's a good way to draw cards. Uh, it sucks if you have a hand and you want to keep the cards. But essentially costs six. Um, if you're, if you're not playing a big style red deck, if you're playing, like, a small fast one, uh, more likely you have, like, one or two cards left. You can, like, play that last card on the turn after you cast her and then discard your hand and draw a new three. So, uh, Chandra Blaze has fun. And then her ultimate, you're not casting. But, uh, just in case. For negative seven, cast any number of red instant and or sorcery card from your graveyard without paying their mana cost. I didn't know that was sorcery cards. Did you, Trevor? Yes. Okay. Well, I, oh, I, I guess one, you knew. So. That'd be a good reason why. Yeah. Alright, so then, um. There, there's another card. I'm kind of on the colorless kick because I didn't research for red as much as you did. Mm hmm. Uh, and that card that I want to bring up is Mind's Eye. Uh, five mana artifact. It's a rare for Mirrodin. Whenever an opponent draws a card, you may pay one. If you do, draw a card. It kind of clears up that problem for, for uh, red. Because red has colorless mana, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, the issue of getting to five is, yeah, it's, it's a little tough. But it's doable in EDH. And you get to draw cards. Sounds like fun. There's also the um, one that was printed in um, Worldwake. Oh, Seer Sundial. Thank you for knowing the name of it. Yeah. <laughs> of course. So Seer Sundial is another great uh, colorless draw uh, artifact. Uh, it costs four colorless mana. And uh, what it says is landfall. If a land comes into play, you may pay two if you do draw a card. So it turns all your lands into cyclers, but you don't actually have to cycle them, which is great because then you technically don't ever draw dead again. With that card out, so I've always been a fan, yeah, and it's, it's I really got good. one from Trevor. So, so the next card I actually want to talk about is not as much like a draw spell where you draw more than one card. You just only draw a card off of it. But I just want to talk about its interactions in EDH, especially depending on your play group. So, if you're in a play group where people always play stuff like uh, Mind Twist or uh, just cards that wreck your hand in one fell swoop. Like, they're redirecting one with nothing at you because they're evil people. Then uh, you want to be playing Ignorant Bliss. Um, this is a car- an uncommon from Dissension. It costs for one in the red. It's an instant. Remove all cards in your hand from the game face down. At end of turn, return those cards to your hand. Then draw a card. So someone goes, I aim a mind twist at you. You go, Ignorant Bliss. I'm going to not, like miss any of these cards in my hand, and I'm going to draw a card in response. So this has always been, like, a fun little trick. It really does depend on your play group, because it can just be, like, a random cycler sometimes, so... It depends. Uh, whatever works for you. Um, the last card drawing that I want to mention is actually a Null Spine Dragon. Yeah. Uh, this is a great card. Trevor and I both like it. It's a 7-5 for 5 red-red. It's a rare dragon from Shadowmoor. It's a flyer, because it's a dragon. It has cool art. Flying. When Null Spine Dragon enters the battlefield, you may discard your hand and draw cards equal to the damage dealt to target opponent of this turn. So, I've seen people draw upwards of nine cards off this guy. Oh, I've seen um, he's, more. Yeah, he's really, really, really great in a red deck. Um, sometimes, in red decks, you often have your hand emptied and you're just holding something. If the last thing you're holding is Null Spine Dragon and you, like, hit somebody for five... You play him, you put a 7-5 into play, and you draw five cards. 
There's nothing wrong with that. No, <laughs> that's, not at all. That's stupendous in a red deck. So it's definitely a great form of red card draw. Yes. Uh, one quick oh. caveat, or one quick, uh, not caveat, uh, uh, side note. You said if someone redirects one with nothing at you, the only way that I could see someone doing that would be, I guess, Wild Ricochet would, would do it because you would copy the spell. No, but you, one with nothing doesn't target so, I, I think hive mind shenanigans are the only way to make everyone discard their hand, which will be really mean. <laughs> because you'd be the only one left with a hand. No, you wouldn't. If you you'd have played. To cast it. Oh no, yeah. no, no, no! You, you if you played ignorant effect. bliss yes. in response, no, then no. you'd be the only person with a hand left. The red guy, no, the no, only no. guy with a hand. Oh yeah, that's true. No, because everyone would get a copy of ignorant bliss if hive mind's out. Exactly, and then when your opponent plays Ignorant Bliss, you pl- when your opponent has Hive Mind out, they play Ignorant Bliss. You say, in response, you playing Ignorant Bliss, because that thing is a mother frickin' sorcery. You s- no, yeah, sorry, they, they play one with nothing. You say, in response, I play Ignorant Bliss. You exile your whole entire hand. You don't have to discard your hand. At the beginning of your end step, you get your hand back with an extra card. Yeah, but... It works. Yeah, it works, but doesn't it do it for everyone? Oh. Because Hive Mind's out. That's what I was saying. That's disappointing. <laughs> this is what we get for recording for so long. <laughs> Anyways, right. so... Sorry about that. Um, One with nothing is as it's... bad as everyone thinks it is. <laughs> I love that card, though. I don't know why. So, um, a card that I found for fun, which uh, I like flipping coins because I'm actually relatively lucky, is Chance Encounter. Now, this is for two red reds. It's an enchantment. Whenever you win a coin flip, put a luck counter on Chance Encounter. At the beginning of your upkeep, if Chance Encounter has ten or more luck counters on it, you win the game. I've never seen this card, so I was just happy about it. Alright, I I heard you say flipping coins and luck counter, and I stopped paying attention. That's that's cute. Okay, so uh, another, another thing that red sometimes doesn't have is mana fixing. Uh, manifesting can be a problem. Sometimes you need an extra land, or sometimes you need a different color land. Uh, luckily, though, uh, I would have to say that uh, Red has one of the best instances of mana fixing or ramping I've ever seen in Gauntlet of Might. Uh, this card's awesome. Uh, Gauntlet of Might costs four. It's an artifact. Red creatures get plus one, plus one, and whenever a mountain is tapped for mana, its controller adds red to his mana pool. You may think you remember this card, but that's just because it was time-spiraled into Gauntlet of Power. Now, Gauntlet of Power is uh, pretty much sounds the same thing, but it's it does it for any color. Gauntlet of Power costs five instead of four, and as Gauntlet of Power comes into play, choose a color. Creatures of the chosen color get plus one, plus one, and whenever a basic land is tapped for mana of the chosen color, its controller adds one of that color to his or her mana pool. So, um, either Gauntlet of Power or Gauntlet of Might uh, for red decks work, Gauntlet of Power for all other decks if you just want to increase the amount of land you have in your mana pool. It's kind of like having mana reflection, but your creatures get plus one, plus one. The only problem is that um, it's whenever a basic land is tapped for mana of the chosen color for Gauntlet of Power and for Gauntlet of Might. So what happens is if your opponents have mountains, they also get double uh, land, and their red creatures also get plus one, plus one. So just a, just a little warning. But uh, besides that, you really shouldn't be undaunted in playing that card. Uh, it's a great way to power out some really, really good, uh, awesome spells later on in the game. Yeah, like Hellkite so. or, um, or Nullspine Dragon even. 
or Rorik's Blade, I have stuff to talk about in that section. Yeah, um, one thing <laughs> that I do want to say is you could actually play this in conjunction with Blood Moon to be the oddest <laughs> jerk and, like, you'd be the nicest jerk in the world. Because you would give everyone <laughs> two mana every time they tap their non-basic land. And all of their red creatures, whether they have them or not, get plus one, plus one. There you go. That's a fun way to do it. Um, the next manifesting card is actually... Okay, so there was a, a group of Kavu that... Uh, <laughs> right? That could actually tap to make target lands like forests or swamps or islands. So uh, one of them is Kavu Recluse. Uh, it costs two and a red. It's a Kavu. It's a 2-2. Two, two. And you can literally tap it for target land to become a forest until end of turn. So that's a kind of mana fixing in red. Uh, no one ever said they got good mana fixing. <laughs> um, sorry, the other ones are Slimy Kavu, which will tap to make a land a swamp. And Tundra Kavu which will tap to make a land an island or a plains, which is kind of cool. So then um, another kind of mana fixing is actually, actually <laughs> Fiery Fall. Uh, yeah. Fiery Fall is uh, a card that you probably played a million times in a Laura Block draft or in a Laura Conflux draft. It's a card from Conflux with five and a red. It deals five damage to target creatures at instant, and it has basic land cycling. For one in a red, discard this card, switch your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. And that's what it does. Um, it What it does, it does pretty well. Um, when you just want to deal five damage or something for six for some reason, uh, it does it. And when you really need a land, it does that too. So it does some things pretty damn well. Uh, actually, this whole entire cycle uh, should be in all the mana fixing for pretty much um, like all of the colors. Uh, I know I'll be talking about it when I get to black. And then the last card that I have for uh, just for ramping your mana if you're in red and basically ramping everyone's mana is Mana Flare. Now, this card costs two and a red. Whenever a player taps a land for mana, that player adds one mana to his or her mana pool of any type that land produced. So you basically double everyone's mana, and everyone loves you. But then you kill them with, like, wildfire, and then they don't love you. But it's okay. Yeah. As long as you win the game. Um, a few cards that I do want to mention. Uh, in case you're... If you're trying to ramp for whatever reason, I don't know why you would, but there are the ritual-type effects. There are some ritual-type effects in red. Mm-hmm. Rite of Flame isn't that good in... Uh, not especially. But, I mean, it's still playable. I mean, you could use it if you have some kind of plan. And, yep. and Desperate Ritual. Seething Song. Seething Song. These are all just There's, different cards that add red mana to your mana pool. They, they have fun doing so. Seething Song is probably the only one that I'd say could possibly see play in EDH. It, uh, it's for two and a red. It's an instant add five red mana to your mana pool. But it says it has... Red, 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 red to your mana pool. Um, but yeah, just in case you need five mana when you're at turn three, it's here for you in the form of Seething Song. <laughs> um, isn't there one? I I can't find it, and I don't know the name off the top of my head. Oh, it's Braid of Fire, I think. Where every upkeep you put a counter on, and you get red mana. Yeah, and because there's no more mana burn, people are gonna say it's uh, broken. But mana also doesn't translate over phases, so you have to use it during your upkeep. Yeah. Well, but I mean. That card. If you're a red player, you could still be playing instance or something. It still does. Oh yeah. It gives you access to more mana, which it doesn't hurt. 
If you have creatures with fire no. breathing, you can pump it into them. There's There's got to be some uses for it. That's actually a really good point. It works really well with a card called Dragon Tyrant, which is one of the finishers I want to talk about for this, for Mono Red. Because Dragon Tyrant's awesome, and everybody should play with it. That sounded awesome. So, so let's, let's get the finishers. Um, uh, to be honest, uh, that, although that might not be all for, uh, like, colorless mana fixtures, there's other things like Pilgrim's Eye or Armorillary Sphere. Um, I feel like that's pretty much it for red. Um, uh, one of the things is board presence, but that is definitely generated with the finishers that I will be talking about right now, starting with Dragon Tyrant, because it's awesome. Okay, so Dragon Tyrant. It costs 8 and a red red. It has Flying Trample and Double Strike. It's a 6-6, six, six, and it has Fire Breathing, because it's cool. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice Dragon Tyrant unless you play 4 red. So that's what you use Braid of Fire for. Um, he's a great target for Dragonstorm. Uh, just putting that one out there. <laughs> um, he's amazing. He wins a game by himself. When you attack at somebody with a double-striking flying trampler that has fire breathing, they lose. Fast. Especially if you had to pay 10 for him. So he is definitely a great, bombastic, awesome finisher. What do you think about him, Trev? I love him. Like I've never, I didn't hear, I didn't even know he existed until you just showed him. I really, really like him. He's fantastic. Then the next card I want to talk about costs seven, which is good. He's a five-five with Wither. Uh, his name is Hate Flare. He's from Eventide, so um, he's one of the rare creatures with untap, and um, so. It has an untap of two and a red. You untap him. Hey, Flare deals damage equal to its power to target creature or player. So what you end up doing is you decimate all of their creatures. Uh, it also has really cool uh, flavor text of it has no safe side, which I think is hilarious. Uh, the, the art's kind of cool. It looks really even tidy. But um, it's a really good card. Uh, what happens is he comes on a turn seven. You attack on turn eight. You kill a really, you like kill a general, or you kill something with indestructibility because it has wither, and then you're still attacking with a five five at somebody that just had vigilance. So he's really, really, really good at what he does. Um, he makes big guys smaller, which can be necessary if you're versing like huge fat green decks. I mean, sometimes you just want him to die just so that you make something get negative five, negative five for the rest of the game. Uh, and then on top of that, sometimes he actually does get that extra damage in and kills a player. Um, I've seen people just win the game with him because someone was at like four and they attacked with Hate Flare and untapped and dealt them five damage. So it all works in the end with Hate Flare. Indeed it does. So then um, another card that was actually a big splash in um, in Standard for a while and kind of been extended. There's been a lot of decks built around it and that's Greater Gargadon. Uh, this is another card that costs 10, uh, but it has a suspend of 10 but you only have to pay one red for it. So it suspends for 10. I hope you know what suspend does, because it's awesome. But uh, you can sacrifice an artifact creature or land to remove a time counter from Greater Gargadon. Activate this ability only if Greater Gargadon is suspended. So um, what basically happens with this card is not only does it provide you with a sack outlet, which is kind of useful in EDH. Sometimes people want to steal your stuff, and you say, no, this is my stuff, and you kill it, and then you actually move a time counter from it. And it's a 9-7. And nine sevens have never, ever, ever been something to scoff at. All. Yeah, you cut out there, Tom. It's also really good in goblin decks. In goblin decks. Yeah. 
Goblin Dex 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 Dex. I have a question for you, Trevor. Yes. Do you know this card? It's a rare. It has a converted mana cost of seven. It's from Lorwyn. It's a giant warrior, and it's called Hamletback Goliath. Yes, I do. Do you remember what it does? Whenever a creature comes into play under an opponent's control, uh, put that many put one one counters equal to that creature's power on Hamletback Goliath. That's correct, but it's whenever another creature comes into play, it can be under your control also. Oh. And he starts out as a 6-6. Six, six. Oh, wow. So this guy gets huge fast. Uh, he is great in Brian the stat arm decks. He will be going in my deck once I find one. And um, he does a good job of just getting huge and beefy and no one can attack into him. People stop playing creatures because they're scared. Um, he's one of the rare creatures that can actually get bigger than Corlash. And that's saying something. If you've ever versed a Corlash deck, that guy gets huge. And Hamletback Goliath gets huger, which can be important. So um, he's really fun. A lot of people playing with, like, Fling or Rydic Consumption, uh, they're both really good things to use with him because you throw a huge fatty McFatty fat fat at their face. So. Fatty Mc, we're, we're, uh, we're trademarking that right now. Fatty McFatty Mc, fat or fat fat. <laughs> okay. Um, can I so talk then, about a red finisher? Do it. A Chroma Angel of Fury. That sounds good. Five red, red, red. So uh, convert mana cost of eight. It's a six six, or she's a six six. A Chroma Angel of Fury cannot be countered. She is flying, tremble, pro white, pro blue, fire breathing, and morph. So you can flip her up. You can play her face down for three colorless, and then flip her up for three and three red. So six mana. Um, the the detriment to her is that she doesn't have haste. Like her white, uh, normal counterpart, untime shifted counterpart. Mm-hmm. So that's that's not as good. But she has flying, trample, pro white, pro blue, fire breathing, and can't be countered. So if there's a really annoying blue player like a zombie or um, someone who's just a douchebag, let's just just to put it simply, someone <laughs> you want to kill. Yeah, pretty much. Then a chroma is usually a good way to do this. I know that Definitely. when I play against Sally and he's using the Wart deck, which doesn't exist anymore, um, but I'll get to that later, and he plays a Morph creature or he plays a Chroma, if I'm using the Thought Adele deck, I have to kill it before he flips it over or I have to draw Evacuation and a Discard spell. Like, this card is really, really hard to deal with. It definitely is a very hard card to deal with. And another card that actually gets out of hand after a while is a card I learned from... Sheldon Mennery, um, it's called Stalking Vengeance. Uh, this card costs five red red as haste. Uh, it's a rare from Dissension. Uh, whenever another creature you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, it deals damage equal to its power to target player. Um, this card's great. It lets you all out and not worry. Um, what happens is you play Stalking Vengeance and then you all out with like a bunch of like two twos or three threes. And even if they die, you still kill people a lot. It's great with token producers and stuff like Goblin Bombardment. Cause you play Goblin Bombardment, which is three in a red. You can sacrifice a creature to deal one damage target creature or player. And then you have Stalking Vengeance out. You just start making tokens. You sack them and you deal two to people or you ping something to death and you kill somebody. It's a really, really, really fun card. So I suggest you use it. It also finishes games, just not by himself. It needs a little bit of help. Just a, just a tad. Just a tad. 
just a tad, not as much help as this guy does. And this is another dragon, because dragons are awesome. And it's Scourge of Kerr Ridges. Uh, this guy's got to convert a mana cost at 8. He's from Future Sight. Oh, cool, he's from Future Sight. Um, he's a, another dragon with flying. Uh, he's a 6-6. Six, six. Um, he has two really cool abilities besides flying. The first one is for one and a red. Scourge of Kerr Ridges deals two damage to each creature without flying. Then for five and a red. Scourge of Kerr Ridges deals six damage to each other creature with flying. So he kills everything. Which is awesome. Generally speaking. Yeah, um, he's a great card. He He's pretty much the epitome of a finisher. He controls the game when he's out, which is stuff that Red loves to do because it never does it ever. So this is definitely, definitely a great dragon, a great card to play. And um, to be honest, I've got pretty much only two left. Uh, one's Hellkite Charger, which you can take. And I'm going to take Ryusi because he's awesome. Go ahead. And by Ryusi, I mean Flame Blast Dragon. <laughs> nice. Way to switch it up at the end there, Tom. All right, so Hellkite Charger. I'm passing it to you, Trevor. You should probably know this one off. Uh, like, I know it. I know what it does, but I'm looking it up just to make sure. I'm pretty sure Hellkite Charger is 4-2 uh, and two red. He's from Zendikar. 5-5. Mm-hmm. Five, five. I'm 90% positive he's actually the foil from the red intro pack, which is cool. Flying Haste. Whenever Hellkite Charger attacks, you may pay 5 and 2 red. If you do, untap all attacking creatures, and after this phase, there's an additional combat phase. Having more than one combat phase is always fantastic. And in red, with a bunch of dragons doing it multiple times, it's really, really good. Hellkite Charger is really good in um, red-green decks, because you have an excess of mana, so you'll get to seven. But even in mono-red decks, you can get to seven occasionally, or it Mm -hmm. just depends on how long the game goes. And his ability ends games and quickly. Yeah, you're no matter what you're swinging for 10 a turn if you use a second ability or sometimes you just use them to give all your stuff pseudo vigilance, which I wouldn't suggest doing but you can. The last card we're going to talk about is a card that dominates in actually 1 versus 1 EDH games but does a lot of good things in regular EDH games also. Um he's Flame Blast Dragon. This is a rare from shards. It's for 4 and a red red. It has flying. It's a 5-5. Five, five. Whenever Flame Blast Dragon attacks, you may pay X and a red. If you do, Flame Blast Dragon deals X damage to target creature or player. So he has blaze attached to him whenever he attacks. This is so important. Sometimes you just attack, remove a horrible blocker that you don't want to block, and you hit someone for 5. Or you kill somebody with all your mana. So he's a great card. Like, if you have this guy out and Gauntlet of Power out, shit's going down. I think that's, that's like the best way to put it. So, um, yeah, uh, that's pretty much it for red. Uh, at least that I've found. There's probably other things that are lacking or stuff that you would like solved. This is stuff we can obviously answer in the future. Um, send us an email at edhradio at gmail.com or at mtgradio at mtgcast.com because they both work or comment in the comments. Because yeah. that's also fun. And we'll say that again before before this is over, I'm sure. As but, am I. Yeah, we'll, we'll mention that at least one more time. So, uh, you said you were all done with Red? Mm-hmm. Alrighty, well, I am going to talk about... Whoa, blue. what? What, what? Apparently I just missed the final. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound very good. 
I would figure, no, I would, it sounds kind of horrible. Yeah, I would figure out what's happening. I think I shall. Right. Uh, you can continue. Yeah, while you're gone, I'm going to talk about blue. Just let me know when you get back. All right, now I'm just going to be on mute. I'm, I have the... Okay, bad. Okay, cool. Sorry about that. Tom might have missed the final, and that sounds terrible. I'm going to talk about blue, and blue does have some issues. I was actually on Twitter, and I was tweeting about this with a bunch of different people. My colors that I was in control of or in charge of were blue and green. I'm going to talk about those. First is blue. And blue, someone, I'm going to get their name right now, they were saying that blue, it was Mana Shark, was saying that it needs to be able to not deal with just one person. It tend, Blue, especially a mono blue deck, unless it's a douchebag deck. And that is not what I'm talking about right now. I'm going to stay away from Azami and Arayo and decks like that and just, like, le- legitimate blue decks. Easy, fun, not jerky blue decks. And if that's the case, you play counter spells, but you're not going to lock everyone out of the game. So you can you can tend to get overwhelmed, especially in the sense that blue doesn't normally have too much of a board position, especially without the aid of other colors like green or uh, white even. Blue can get more com- more uh, board presence with those cards, but without them, it tends to have a little bit of a problem. Uh, it does have some enchantments that help in that sense, propaganda being one of them, which is two in a blue. Whenever a creature attacks, you your uh, its controller must pay two for it to do so. That, that's really good. The permission type effect from that is, is okay. But in terms of um, creatures, it does have a problem. It, it definitely also has a problem with removal. So uh, I'm going to just mention some cards. There are actually some pretty off-the-cuff cards that you wouldn't think of. One of them is, uh, and I'm not saying that all of these are going to be perfect for e- every EDH that you have. Just th- putting a warning out there. But... Um, one of them is uh, Merfolk Assassin. Sounds odd, but he can destroy creatures with Island Walk. Now, this doesn't sound like a big deal, but if you're playing in an area with a lot of Changelings, or even if you just played a lot of Lorewind, you have spells that can add or subtract creature types. Um, Amiiboid Changeling, there's one in a blue. Uh, target creature gains all creature types or loses creature types. You can make something um, all creature types, and you're like, all right, well, what does that matter? Lord of Atlantis. So I, it's it's obviously like a three-card combo that's really convoluted and probably not good, but in Merfolk Tribal or in a blue EDH deck that's playing with creatures, it is a way to knock off creatures, and a, a semi-proficient way to do so. Uh, there's another card, Omnivancer. He was reprinted in uh, Time Spiral. He's a time-shifted. Two and a blue. When it enters the battlefield, sack it unless you return three basic lands you control to their owner's hand, and it's a zero-one. So the drawback is really great. And that's the problem with blue removal. But you can tap it, return it to its owner's hand, destroy target creature, it can't be regenerated. That creature gets a 0-1 green sheet. So that it's a way to destroy a creature. It's not the best way, but in blue you're going to have a little bit of trouble finding the best way. Um, another card is Pongify. Pongify is a 1-mana blue instant, destroy target creature, it can't be regenerated. That creature puts a 3-3 green ape creature token onto the battlefield. Now, this may not sound like the best removal, and that's because it's not, but it works for what it does, and especially in EDH where there are a lot of big cards, uh, flashy cards like Hellkite Charger, Hellkite Overlord, Rafik, whatever the case may be, big problematic cards, Pongify works to stop them. It might not be the best, but it definitely has an effect, and it's a mi- it's an instant, so you can even put it on Isochron, which is good. 
because if you have it on Isochron, you can keep using it over and over again. And Okay, so Trevor? Yes, Tom? I totally just missed a final that I didn't know was today, so I'm going to go run to my teacher and beg for my life. A lot. Alrighty. Alright, so you have fun recording this. Bye. Bye-bye, Tom. So, you heard it here on MTG Radio. Tom missed the final? That's pretty awful. But instead of uh, just cutting this out entirely and only submitting half a podcast, we haven't gotten one up in quite a while, so I'm going to just keep going. Uh, I'm only going to be able to get blue and green because I don't have what Tom had for the other colors. And then I'll talk about the other stuff. And hopefully if Tom comes back, which I kind of doubt, or uh, next episode, we'll be able to talk about the other colors. But I was on removal for blue. And I just talked about Pongify, which, as I said before, isn't the greatest. And most of Blue's removal aren't the greatest. But there's also uh, Spin Into Myth. And I'll get Spin Into Myth right now. It's the card from Fate Seal. Not from Fate Seal. It's from Future Sight. It has Fate Seal. I'm looking it up on Gatherer just so I don't make any mistakes. Spin Into Myth is four and a blue. Uh, put target creature on the top of its owner's library, then Fate Seal 2. So this is an awesome, 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 fantastic removal spell for blue. You can get rid of um, creatures, and it's fantastic against generals. So if someone's general is being ridiculous, you can remove it from, uh, essentially remove it from the game entirely, because you put it on their deck and then put it at the bottom, and there's no way for them to put it back in the command zone from there. So that's good. Um, that's blue removal. That's a way for, that's ways for blue to deal with creatures. Another one, very classic, is, uh, evacuation. Sorry, couldn't think of the name. Three and two blue, instant, return all creatures to their owner's hands. Uh, it's not, it's problematic in the sense that, like, if there are cards out, uh, that have comes into play triggers, Moldrifter or Shriek Maul, things like that, then you, your opponents get to reuse them which is not very good, but it does sweep the board of tokens, and it's especially good because it's an instant, so if there's one guy at the back of the table, say, who has, uh, like, 18 creatures out, and they're all regular creatures, not even um, token cards, then you can evacuation during his, like, main phase two, or his, like, his end step, so he has too many cards in his hand and just has to discard some. So it's, it's something to do, at least... Um, again, I'm not saying it's the best, but right now I'm digging in a territory where there isn't the best of a lot of things. So, be aware if you are playing blue, that you are going to have trouble removing creatures from, or destroying creatures or removing from the game, that kind of stuff. It's not what blue does. It's not really blue's part of the color pie. Um, as I said previously, blue does also have a problem with board presence. So, I'm going to talk about some creatures that are board presence, and this is also going to cover the finishers aspect of it that Tom was talking about for red. I know blue might have some other issues, but I feel like the issues that blue tends to have are because blue players get picked on, or they only think of playing a blue deck that's strictly control. If you play a blue deck that isn't based around, like, Azami or Araya and Counterspell and Isochron and Tutors and Shenanigans like that, if you play, like, a tribal deck, a Moonfolk deck, or a Merfolk deck, a fairy deck, even. No, don't play fairy deck. I was lying. Some kind of tribal deck. You can't have a creature-based blue deck. It's not going to be 
necessarily as good as another color, but it'll have something to do. It'll be okay at minimum. Um, some good blue finishers that also have an impact on the board are Patron of the Moon, who's 5-2 blue for a 5-4 legendary creature spirit. Uh, he's from Betrayers of Kamigawa, and it's a rare. Moonfolk Offering, which I'm going to have to read because I don't even, I have no idea. You may play this card anytime you could play an instant by sacrificing a Moonfolk and playing the difference in mana cost between this and the sacrificed Moonfolk. Mana cost includes color. Yeah, so if you want to cheat it out and you're playing Moonfolk, feel free. I don't think that's ever going to be used. That's not how I recommend playing this. But it's a 5-4. It is flying and... One colorless, put two land cards from your hand into play tapped. Now, this is really, really great with landfall. Um, it's good with uh, play to Geopede and step links and royal elemental, especially royal elemental because he's also blue. And he's pretty good. He's a control magic, except the issue with him is he can get removed pretty easily, in case you don't know. He, his ability, at least, is landfall whenever land comes into play, gain control of target creature. If you if Royal Elemental dies, they, everybody gets their creatures back. So you pay one, return two land, or uh, put two lands into play tapped. You get two triggers for Royal Elemental. And they both come to your side. There's a lot of combos with Patron of the Moon. Another one involves um, Maloku, who's another really good uh, blue finisher. If you played Kamigawa at all, you know Maloku. Uh, it's Maloku of the Clouded Mare. No, there's no of Maloku the Clouded Mare. It's four and a blue for a two-four flyer. Hey, he's a moon folk. That's cool. And he's a wizard. Tap one colorless, return a land you control to its owner's hand. Put a one-one blue illusion creature token with flying onto the battlefield. It's a two-four. Now, he doesn't seem terribly amazing unless you've played with him and then he seems fantastic because he is. But you can return lands to your hand and get illusions. And then with Patron of the Moon, you can play those lands again. So, it's really awesome. It gives you some board presence. It gives you some creatures. The creatures he makes are also 1-1s with flying. So, they have evasion. They can be clamped to draw cards. Um, Maloku is a really good finisher. So, I would keep him in mind. Uh, so, moving on. Another card that's really good and has an impact on the board as soon as he's played is Teferi, Mage of Zelfir. A lot of people probably know Teferi. He also is a, a good general and an interesting... Eh, pardon me and an interesting general choice. Two blue, 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 so five in total. He's a 3-4, legendary creature human wizard with flash. Creatures you control that aren't on the battle, are, aren't in play, aren't on the battlefield, have flash. Each opponent can only play spells anytime he or she could play in sorcery. So this stops people from doing shenanigans during your turn. It lets you do shenanigans during everybody's turn. And it's pretty interesting all around. Teferi is one of those cards, like I said, that impacts the board when he comes down. He's a creature that does that for blue, which isn't the norm, but he's really awesome. And you throw him down, you put some greaves on him, and you're good to go. It gives blue players, and it also, it, it still lets you do what you want to as a blue player, which is never play anything during your turn ever, because that's highly overrated. Why would you ever want to do that? Uh, another card that's in blue, and from Kamigawa. Kamigawa seems to have a lot of good blue creatures. Mind you, a lot of these are also legendary, so they can be used as generals. This one is Kira Great Glass Spinner, 1 and 2 blue for a legendary creature spirit. It is a rare from Betrayers of Kamigawa. It has flying. Whenever, or pardon me, creatures you control have. Whenever this creature becomes the target of a spell or ability, for the first time in a turn, counter that spell or ability. 
Now, this means that it takes two removal spells to kill him, or her, or it's whatever. I'm not guessing the gender of uh, an amorphous blob. And it also means that all of your other creatures are significantly harder to kill. So yeah, it's definitely worthwhile. It's definitely a great card. It changes the aspect of, like, it changes how games are played, especially if you drop this late in the game and there's only you and one other person left or two other people left. I would probably not recommend playing this too early because it's going to put a target on your face, unless it's your general, and then you can just replay it. And it is a legend, like I said, so that is a benefit. Some other cards are Empress Galena. Uh, this one, as well as a lot of the other ones I'm going to mention right now, a lot of these were recommended to me by MTG Color Pie, Robbie. He was a guest on the show. And he also is really, really into EDH. 9090 EDH Problems is his EDH blog, and it's fantastic. And he was just um, throwing some ideas forth for, for really good uh, legends that could be EDH generals and just good blue EDH cards. Now, Empress Galena is 3 and 2 blue for a 1-3. Seems kind of meh. Merfolk, so get your Lord of Atlantis is ready. Uh, there are seals in the picture, which is cool. I just noticed that. I had no idea what that was. Uh, 2 blue, tap, gain control of target legend or legendary permanent. This effect does not end at the end of turn. Now, the big issue with her that I see is you're going to need a way to protect her as soon as you play her. Play her, throw Greaves on her, you're, you're golden. Unless there's some kind of wrath effect, you're, you're going to be pretty okay. At least more okay than otherwise. If you just play her, everyone's going to look at her and go, alright, do I want to lose my general forever? No, I don't. So, that's not going to be the best thing to do. I would, Like I said, I would recommend protecting Empress Lena as much as you possibly can. Uh, but if she does resolve and stick, you're, you're good. Uh, and also, another cool thing with her... Because she does take legends, and this is kind of an obscure ruling for EDH, but it is true. If you kill someone with their own legend, like if you take their general, let's say you're playing against someone who's using Rafik, you take their Rafik, you attack them with it, and deal 21 points of general damage to them with their general, you, like, they lose. It's any general. So even if you lose to your own general, it's still general damage. Now this is, like I said, this is kind of an obscure ruling, and it doesn't happen as often as others, but it can work, and I think Empress is a good way to show that. So, be aware. And also, another good thing about her is it's a control magic that's still around, even if she dies. So, you can gain control of something, and unlike Royal Elemental or the Enchantments, like, control magic itself, if they kill Empress, they don't get their dude back. So, you have to actually kill the creature so they can get it back or go to their graveyard or whatever. And finally, for another blue card slash finisher, is Baron Master Wizard. One and two blue for a 1-1. One, one. He's a legend wizard, or human wizard, legendary creature. And he has tap two, colorless, sack a permanent, return target creature to its owner's hand. Reusable bounce effects are awesome in EDH. I know um, capsize with buyback is, like, it, just should, it should just be a card. It should cost four colorless and two blue, and, like, bounce a permanent return this to your hand. Because I've never, ever played Capsize without buyback. Maybe once, but it was because I was falling asleep or something stupid. Now, Baron, uh, he works good with something like Maloku, where you can return a land to your hand, make a token, sack the token, return something to its owner's hand. Uh, he works good if your stuff is being taken. Like, say you have him in um, a deck with a small artifact theme, or even a larger artifact theme, 
and someone thought I'd dealt some one of your artifacts and plays it, you can return your artifact to your hand, which is good. Um, that's what Baron does. He's a wizard, and there are a lot of good wizards that can go along with him. I know I was looking for a finisher in my uh, EDH deck, my Thada Adele deck, and I found one, but it's not, like, the cliche type of finisher, at least. I'm going to look it up right now. It's Diviner's Wand. It's an artifact from, I want to say, Morning Tide. And it's a wizard artifact as well. Yeah, it's a Morning Tide single. It's 29 cents at Star City Games, so pick them up now. Three mana, tribal artifact, wizard equipment. It is uncommon. Equipped creature has, whenever you draw a card, this creature gets plus one, plus one, and gains flying until end of turn. Tap four, draw a card. That's, those two abilities in tandem are really, really great. And remember, it counts all of your draws. So at the beginning of your turn, when you draw a card, the creature that's holding the wand gets bigger and gets wings. And also, whenever a wizard comes into play, you can attach Diviner's Wand to it for absolutely free. Great ability. Pretty awesome. Um, like I said, I tried to find a finisher for my blue deck, and this is what I used to fill the gap. It, it does work, and it works well. Uh, I would say, I, I'm pretty sure it's in a few people's cubes. I don't play the cube very often, but it's good. Another card that works really well with it, and I'm kind of getting off on a tangent, but I'll bring things back in just a little bit, and that's Flow of Ideas. Uh, flow of Ideas, especially in a mono blue deck, not that it needs any more card draw, but in case it does, um, it's five in a blue, six mana total. It's a, it's a sorcery, draw a card for each island you control. So if you have Diviner's Wand on a creature and you resolve Flow of Ideas, you essentially just win. Like, you, you're drawing at least, maybe guess five to seven. No, you're not. Well, I guess you, yeah, you could be drawing five to seven cards. And your creature gets that much bigger, and it's really just fantastic. So, those are the way for blue to actually have some sort of board presence and not just die to, like, kavus and symbiotic worms and nonsense that goes on like that. Uh, like I said before, it does have some sweepers. And don't forget about the colorless ones that we mentioned when we talked about red. Uh, those include Disc, uh, All is Dust, Ozone, that kind of stuff. Be aware of those. They still exist, and they can be used across the spectrum, so use them. They they're, they exist for a reason, and they are wonderful. Uh, I actually just feel like I'm blabbering on and on at this point, probably because I am. And like I said, I don't have all of the colors. So I'm just going to talk about uh, two sites or two articles that came up, and I'm going to announce the winners for the contest, and then I'm going to wrap up this podcast, and Tom and I will talk about green, white, and black on the next episode. So this will not be five hours. I apologize. It's probably going to be closer to like three-ish. I really don't know. But there was the whole hullabaloo, and I hope Tom gets to his final. I really have no idea what's going on right now. He just kind of left me high and dry. Um, I would like to... Well, first, you know what? I'll announce the winners to our contest. Alrighty. So as I said, I'm going to announce the winners for the contest right now. And drum roll, please. That was me drum rolling. And there's Sally clapping in the background. All right. In second place, we have Crazy Night 27. So I'm just going to announce the people who win packs. And that's Crazy Night 27 is the first one. Um, his entry was Draga the Rampager. Converted mana cost of 10. Legendary creature Eldrazi. Trample. Uh, can only be blocked by five or more creatures. And it has a Nihilator 2. And it is a 10-10. So pretty interesting design. 
This contest kind of like simmered down and faltered because the card that we, the art we used was actually spoiled as a card. So it didn't work as well as we planned. But Crazy Night, if you contact us, email us at uh, mtgradio at mtgcast.com or edhradio at gmail.com, and we'll send you the pack. And then we do have a first place winner that I'm going to mention right now. And the first place winner, who I will also tell on Twitter, because he's a Twitter follower, which is fantastic. And this is Plugel. I'm probably saying this wrong, but as far as I know, that's how it's pronounced. I really don't know very well. Now, this was before Emeria, or Emrakul, was spoiled, and we knew that Emra something was going to be an Eldrazi, a legendary Eldrazi, because they hinted at it in that article. So this has a lot of flavor. It's a really cool card, and he actually made it on a workstation. Not workstation. Set editor. That's the one. 10 mana for a 10-12 legendary creature Eldrazi. Emerant Heaven's Minstrel. Mistral. Something like that. Multi-Kicker 2. You may pay an additional 2 anytime you cast this, or as many times as you want after you cast it. It has Trample, Haste, and First Strike. When you cast uh, Emerant Heaven's Minstrel, place X Gale Counters on this card, where X is the number of times it was kicked. Remove a Gale Counter, destroy target permanent, and it has Sky Affinity. When this card deals combat damage to a creature with flying, destroy that creature. Now, Sky Affinity, kind of an odd uh, ability, especially because have, uh, Emerant doesn't have flying itself. I don't know how it's going to be dealing damage to flyers. And it also, it's affinity, but it doesn't make it cheaper, which kind of irks me because I did play during Mirrodin. But in, in terms of a total card, I think the Sky Affinity thing could have been even left off, and it still would have been an awesome card. The uh, the whole Gale Counters idea and the fact that it was flavorful really did benefit, and I like it a lot. It also is an interesting general. I mean, granted, it's 10 mana, but still, pretty cool. I like it. Uh, so both of you guys, Poogle and... I'm going to get this right. Crazy Night 27. Email us. We're going to need your actual mailing addresses uh, because, well, in order to mail packs, well, that's kind of what is required. And Plugle, you'll get two packs. Uh, Crazy Night, you'll get one. I don't know if Tom's back in his dorm or that was one of his roommates. That was weird. His mic just made noise. Yeah. There's a ghost in Tom's room. Um,. So we're going to need both of your emailing addresses, or pardon me, your mailing addresses. Also, uh, I know we said World Wake initially, but because Rise is coming out soon, if you guys want Rise packs instead, it'll take longer, because it's not out yet, obviously. But if you guys would like to, uh, Plugal, if you want two packs of Rise and uh, Crazy Night, you want one, then we, I can arrange that. I'll, I'm perfectly fine doing it that way, too. Let us know in an email when you respond, and I hope it's cool, and I hope you guys are glad, and... We're really, really happy that you guys participated in this, and everybody's in third place. We had, a, we had a few more entries, but everyone's awesome, and you all get our love and admiration, and you're all fantastic. So I just want to say, like, shout-outs to everyone. You guys are really cool, and I'm glad you listen. We actually had some more emails that I'm going to mention right now, and one was from Danny, who had a Shark in the Mad deck that he wanted to show us. It was just a list of a few cards. Um... Some cards like with the uh, goes to the uh, when a creature goes to the graveyard triggers like Rockslide Elemental and Deathbreeder, just kind of a casual deck, but it seemed really cool, and it did uh, highlight Trock in the Mad, which I think is awesome. So I want to give a shout out to him, and also I want to give a shout out to uh, Nurgle Maverick and Penahanuva Ben. He did an article over at Card Shark, and it was about uncards in EDH, and I'm, I can't really sum it up well enough. I read it myself. 
it's really, really cool. He he goes through a lot of the EDH, or pardon me, the uncards, and talks about them in an EDH perspective, and says what cards he thinks are good, what cards aren't good. Uh, I really would recommend if you want to play uh, uncards in your EDH league, or just in EDH with your friends, check out this article. It's really cool. I'll put the link in the show notes. Speaking of articles, this wasn't an email we got, but Benny Smith posted an article on Star City. Uh, it was the other day. I'll put the link in the show notes, as I always try to do. And he just went over some of the Eldrazi spoilers, but that's not really why I like the article so much. The reason why I find it awesome is because at the very end of the article, the last few paragraphs, after he talks about Realms Uncharted, he talks about an EDH game he was in and how he ended up winning the game with an equipment from Zendikar, an uncommon equipment from Zendikar that people like kind of mocked that he even had in the deck. And I think it's really awesome, and I got really into it even reading it. So I think that's cool. And if you want to go check that out, like I said, the link will be in the show notes. But we really do appreciate uh, all of the comments and Twitter subscribers and Twitter followers. And I got to thank Mana Shark and MTG Color Pie, all you guys who follow us on Twitter. The conversations we have back and forth are really fantastic. If you don't know or don't follow us on Twitter yet, it's twitter.com slash mtgradio. Pretty cool. Uh, same thing with YouTube. But, well, not really the same thing, a little bit different. It's youtube.com backslash Radio because somebody stole MTG Radio. How dare they? Um, I'm going to be having more videos up. I actually changed my EDH decks. We have Rith, Drygaz, Thada Adele, and Corona False God now. So those are our four EDH decks between Sally and I. And I'll be doing deck techs on those, but they'll be in the videos. I find that medium a lot easier to uh, go over the card choices and it's better because people can visually see what cards I'm talking about. Um, that's going to be about it all. This is the marathon episode-ish. Uh, I'm sure Tom and I will try to make this a lot better later on. We'll probably try to do another marathon one or at least a long episode to make up for this one. Uh, this didn't really turn out as planned. I hope Tom and his test works out okay. But for Trevor of MTG Radio, this is episode 32, and thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. That was Sally. He's cool. <laughs>